Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. It'll be Carlos Martinez on the mound for St. Louis. And the Cardinals need Carlos Martinez to be good tonight. There's a swing and a miss. First strikeout for Carlos Martinez with the pitcher coming out. Peralta breaks his bat, fly ball, shallow right. And Carlos Martinez is sharp tonight. Eight in a row, no score. Shildy, is it fair to say that Carlos was pitching for his spot in the rotation tonight? I think that's a reasonable statement that's what it sounded like last night carlos martinez with a big win for the cardinals he had a big win for himself if not for his performance it certainly sounds like based on the manager's comments after the game carlos martinez was done in the rotation with alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley it's bk and ferrario on 101 espn alex i know we have been all over this roller coaster ride that has been the Carlos Martinez 2021 season. There was once upon a time when Tanner was telling us that the tsunami was back. Yeah. Never said that. He called him a Cy Young candidate. You Couldn't did. believe it. I don't see proof. Okay. Uh-huh. I'll find the audio. Don't worry. Oh I remember God. the date. I also don't see the proof of the chick magnet poster that you were talking about. That shall yeah, appear that, that over the weekend. Carlos exist. looked good last night. You could tell early on he was in rhythm. The pacing is the number one thing with him when he is almost attacking the baseball. When Yadier Molina is throwing it back to him, he doesn't walk around the mound, mess with his hat, kind of get his jersey all. That's like spider tax going. Okay. He seems to be more in rhythm at certain times, and it's all about his focus. And last night, he was as focused as I've seen him in quite some time. Rick Ankiel said it on the broadcast last night. He doesn't give the hitter any chance to get ready in the box. I mean, as soon as he gets the the, the previous hitter out, he takes a quick circle, he's back on top, and he's ready to throw. He basically tells the batter, are you ready? Because I'm coming at you. And I think that's the prototypical Carlos Martinez. That's the Carlos that you want in your rotation. Guys, he is the most confusing human being on this Cardinals team that I have ever seen because this guy gave up five runs to the Pittsburgh Pirates. An they're awful really team. Good. No, they're, an no, awful really team. Good. This guy gave up two runs against the Cubs, one of the better offenses with yeah, Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo wow. and Javier Baez and Jock Peterson. They're the worst offense in baseball in the month well, of June. I but don't really care. Regardless, he did that against Chicago. Actually, he did it against Chicago twice. But then he goes against Arizona 
It was a bad offense, and he shuts them down for six innings. I just don't understand. I would just like to know what goes on in Carlos's head. It's probably a dangerous place. It's probably a place you don't want to go, kind of like Jamie Rivers' head. But I'd like to know, because what changed between your start against Arizona, where you went out and dealed, and your start against the Pittsburgh Pirates, where it looked like you couldn't get through the first inning? I think Carlos was open and honest after the game last night, and he told you exactly what happens in his head. When I got the uniform, I, I, I need respect the, the team, you know, respect the Cardinals, you know. I'm with the family, you know, with the Cardinal family, so I need I need to keep going like this, you know. I got a lot, a lot of frustration the last uh, um, the last uh, five hours, you know, but right now I feel comfortable, you know. Today was my best uh, focus, so... Uh, this, this season, so the focus. He was open and honest after the game last night that for whatever reason, Alex, he gets unfocused during these games. How does that happen to a major league starter? I don't know. I can't explain it to you. I asked him in the post game last night to explain what that's like, and he basically said, like, you know, sometimes for whatever reason, whether it's mechanics or just the game, it it doesn't come to him the way that it should. He also talked after the game about what his conversations were like with Mike Schilt, because when Schilt is talking post game and Rick Hummel asks him, is it fair to say that if Carlos didn't play well tonight, he was going to be out of the rotation and Schilt answers with the affirmative. I would imagine those are some conversations that have taken place with the player as well. Here's what he said about it. The team believe on me, you know, they believe they, they trust on me, you know, they just uh, asked me about if I lose the focus or something like that. And uh, just uh, they help me like talking every day uh, to be like on focus every day, like working hard every day. And uh, they make me like like wake up, you know, so appreciate it. My dog and uh, uh, my child, you know, so and, and the thing and the thing. So, you know, Wayne Wright, Jari and everybody, everybody talked to me about like trusting myself and, and believing in myself. So that's make me wake up that's fantastic and i'm glad he's woke up i'm glad he is and i hope he stays that way the rest of the season because he's crucial for this team to get to july 31st or whenever jack flaherty comes back if they make a trade or if they don't make a trade whatever mike maddox adam wainwright yadier molina mike schilt heck i don't care the guy who rubs them down after the game what whatever (laughs) whatever they did going into last night's game replicate that every fifth day Uh, do it to a t like i'm going superstition right now like if you gave him half of a bowl of cereal at eight in the morning give it to him again the next start part of this is urgency urgency from carlos martinez with his preparation he knew going into this game i guarantee you alex because we all knew it if he didn't pitch well he was done that was the last start he was going to make as a cardinal And that needs to continue to be the case. Carlos can't feel that once and then feel like, okay, you know what? I'm good. I'm going to be in this rotation, whether I pitch well or whether I pitch like I did against the Dodgers, because there was a point in time, not that long ago, where it's a guarantee he's going to make that fifth start or that start every fifth day. Rather, that can't be the case anymore. The rest of the season, if he pitches poorly, maybe it's two starts in a row, two poor starts in a row. It's over. It's got to be a quick hook with Carlos because when he feels that comfortability in the rotation, it feels like that's when he settles in and things start to go south for him. See, that's hard, though. And that's the that's the part that I don't envy about guys who are in the position working with professional athletes because you have to know the individual. Maybe Carlos isn't the guy that you threaten with, hey, we're going to pull you out of the rotation. Maybe the, So that's why he performed this way. 
But you have to find out what works for Carlos because the problem is he's been inconsistent all season. It's not like you have a thread of three games in a row where you're like, oh, this is Carlos right here. It's a good start, then a bad start. A good start, then a bad start. So, like, how do you how do you work with this guy in terms of the psychological part of the game? That's the question that I would have. And frankly, it seems like the Cardinals don't really know. Dep- depends on how good his rubdown is after the game. Okay. I've, I've seen some guys, and rubdowns are pretty good. Yeah, you pitch well, you get a good rubdown. If you don't pitch well, sorry, the rubdown's not as good. Moving forward from that. It's true. Which is obviously an important part of uh, the post game routine. Move, how do you move forward from a rubdown? Like, come on, man. He was really good last night. This goes the road. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. Are you believing it though? No. No. God no. That Diamondbacks he, team is bad. He remind. He's like. I think, a, I think he would have pitched well last night against anybody. I don't think that was about him going up against the Diamondbacks. Do you though, I absolutely do. See, I, I, he had his best stuff last night. Yeah, but I wonder if that lineup has Cattell Marte and Carson Kelly in it. I'm wondering if he's he put himself into a threat a couple of times. Now six innings, one earned run. Maybe he doesn't give you that. But five innings, three, something like that. Carlos had his best stuff. He was completely focused. That was going to be a good start regardless of who he was going up against. I'm pretty confident in that. I I don't know. I don't think he can replicate it. I just don't know because uh, I, and maybe it is the rhythm. Maybe it's all about the rhythm, but that was a that was a bad lineup. I, I mean, plain and simple. Even the Pittsburgh Pirates have a better lineup than the Diamondbacks right now. So I just don't and again, I'm not trying to take anything away. I'm not going to be like I was yesterday where I didn't give him credit for the win because yeah, that was a hard-nosed negative. win. No, not anymore. But that was that was not the same lineup that the Diamondbacks usually have. And I know you got to work with what you got, and Carlos went out and did his job. But you put that against the Dodgers, the Padres, I don't know if you're getting the same result. I don't think you're getting six innings and one earned run with four hits against. I don't. But I think you would have had maybe not the quality start in terms of the actual statistic. I don't know if he would have gone through six innings. Maybe he goes a little shorter. I think you could have got five out of Carlos against just about any lineup in baseball last night. And I think you would have got three earned runs or fewer. I think he was in his, he was locked in. And if we're going to give credit where it is due, Carlos deserves credit for the way he pitched last night. He absolutely does. And we cannot take anything away from him for that performance, but it has to be consistent. And that's been the problem with him. You made, you made a great point, Alex, the Cardinals need Carlos Martinez. Because I was thinking about this as I heard that question from Rick Hummel last night of, was this potentially going to be his final start for the Cardinals? If it was, if he didn't pitch the way he did last night, what were they going to do? I mean, seriously, who who was the option that they were going to go to? I think you go to an opener. If he fails, I think they turn to an opener. And I still think that's the case. Until Woodford gets stretched out down in AAA with uh, the Memphis Redbirds, your only other option to me would be... Uh, would be an opener, or I guess they could try to bring back John Gant, but John Gant didn't impress me in his one bullpen outing I've seen so far. So, What do you think they would have done, Alex? I think they would have had to go to an opener. I mean, you called up those guys from the minors for a reason, to get fresh arms and to get Jake Woodford to stretch out, Seth Elledge to stretch out, but you brought those guys up for a reason. I think you have to go to an opener there. Like, you can't afford to lose games anymore and if yep. he doesn't have a stuff i think you have to do that that's why it's so critical that he pitched the way he did last night and that he continues doing something resembling that again you don't expect six innings of one earned run out of carlos every time he goes out there that's not the kind of guy that he is but if you can get a consistent five innings at least 
and he leaves the game giving you a chance to compete and giving you a chance to win. That's all you can really ask for. He's on a good team. Carlos Martinez is probably a number four or a five starter. That's that's where he should be on a good team. I don't even know about that. On a good team, I don't think he's on the team. I think he's a bullpen guy for a good team. Like That's it, fair. If you put him on the Dodgers or Padres right now, I think he's in your bullpen. Not a championship contender, but if you put Carlos into the Brewers rotation, he could be their fifth starter. If you with put their it, rotation, maybe, especially with how many injuries are going around baseball right now. I, I know we're down on Carlos, but I mean, you saw it last night. He's got the stuff to be a number five starter. He's in got rotation. the stuff, but the inconsistency it would never That's fly what a five with anybody. Starter is though. That's, a five starter. You usually, I think, you can have an idea. Well, the Cardinals of what you're five get. starters an ace right now. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. I don't Touché. know why that cracked me up, but it just did. A number five starter, even on a good team, is typically inconsistent. Regardless, whatever you think about all of this why stuff. Why do you hate fifth starters? I don't get it. Because, because that's why they're a number five starter. Wow. That's like a utility guy. The reason Whoa. why they're a utility guy is because they're not a I legitimate starter. Tommy Edmund. Oh my gosh. Tommy Edmund. This is unbelievable. Okay, I thought I was the negative Nancy yesterday. Okay, we said that if Carlos didn't pitch well last night, we probably would have seen an opener for the Cardinals. Would it have been Alex Reyes? Because after the game, I asked Mike Schilt on the decision to have Alex Reyes pitch two full innings. It was his first two-inning save of the season. He tied a season high with 32 pitches. Seemed like a hell of a coincidence to me. What's Mike Schilt have to say about it? It was a scenario based on how that game was going. You know, Gio was going to be down, and Alex had not been as worked recently. You know, had eight pitches two days ago, um, two days off before that. Time to him to get multiple innings. Um, he hadn't gotten as much work, and, you know, again, the timing is everything. So before the game, told him I said expect to get two. That's why if you saw him, he was uh, – he was popped right up and didn't have to be told to get loose, um, although we, we, we called down. But, but you know, Carlos and, and, and the lefties, Cabby and Miller, set us up to get there. Two innings, 32 pitches, coincidence or not, Alex? You know, I'm sick of you guys doing this tinfoil theory and not, like, doing any prep work behind it because you're just throwing things at the wall and trying to see what's First off, this isn't a tinfoil. This is a tinfoil. And just throwing out the non-prep work accusation, that's a little cruel. Frankly, it's lazy. It's just what I'm thinking right now. But anyway, just back to your point here, BK, I don't think it was a coincidence. I I think, like Mike Schilt said, Giovanni Gallegos wasn't available for them. And (laughs) let's be honest, you're not going to anybody else in the eighth inning to get to Alex Reyes because you don't uh, trust anybody else. Ryan Helsley. Oh, God. Andrew Miller, guys. He almost made me throw up in my mouth last can, night. Can we put Miller in the circle of trust? No. I get it. It Did wasn't pretty. Did you watch the game I last night? I get it night? wasn't pretty, but he got the job. No, I don't. No, he didn't. He gave up a run and he almost he walked in the second. Yeah, turn your mic off. Jeez. I, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think this was a matter of you. your best option to get that win was Reyes to pitch two innings. And the guy has not pitched a lot in June. So any opportunity you can to utilize him and get him to that 100 innings threshold, you're going to take advantage of it. Is there a, clo- a starter option? Maybe, but I don't think that was the start of it. I think that was just Mike Schilt wanting to th- that victory. I think I agree with you. I I want to will this thing into that being more than what it you was. You want it. But I don't think that was more than what it was. I think that was Mike Schilt being super aggressive the way that he was the night prior as well with his bullpen saying, we need this one. And the Cardinals really needed that win. You could feel it. I could feel it. I'm sure everybody listening in our audience could feel it right now. 
that was a massive victory, and Alex Reyes needed all of it. Everything that he had in his arsenal, he needed to be that able to lock play, that thing in. That Huge. double play, watching Reyes's like reaction to that, man, he needed to get out of that inning. I still think that if the Cardinals needed to go to an opener, he would be their best option. That being said, I don't think he would be the one that they would go to. I think they'd pick somebody else. I don't know who that would be. Maybe Rondon, uh, Rodon, Rondon, Rondon. Who? Did you just make him up? Uh, On hell, Rondon. Maybe that would have been the route that they would have gone. They've got that kid in double A. Not kid. 32-year-old in double A that's been playing independent ball for 10 years. I think that was his name. Maybe they would have tried him. I'm not sure. They could have tried Matt Carpenter. He's got a zero ERA on the season. They would have gone somewhere, but I do not think, despite all of my wishes, they would have gone with Alex Reyes. (laughs) With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into our Blues icebreaker of the day. What is Vladimir Tarasenko's future mean for the Blues offseason. We'll get into that in about 15 minutes or so. It's 11-16. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, don't look now, but this Cardinals offense is heating up, boys. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Arenado hits it down the left field line, hooking, gone! It's off the foul pole! An absolute rocket and a scream from Nolan! 2-0 Cardinals! Barehanded. Oh, what a play! Nolan Arenado! Remarkable play from the Cardinal third baseman! 3-2 pitch. Swung on and missed. Reyes gets the final six outs. And the Cardinals hold on for a 3-2 win and a series win against the Diamondbacks. And they'll look for a sweep tomorrow. You know, this isn't, this isn't a foreign recipe to us. <laughs> you know, we've, this group's done this for a couple years now. Did it for the first whatever percentage it was for this year. And we just went into a cumulative funk with our pitching and our offense. And it's not like we don't know what this looks like. Cardinals feel like they're coming out of a funk right now, and they have won three out of four. Credit where it is due. Yes, it has come against the Diamondbacks and that last game against the Pirates. Uh, But they've won three out of the four nonetheless, and this is what we needed them to do was start racking up the victory. So we will give credit where it is due. They're back in action coming up here in just about an hour or so. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex, I'm not suggesting that the offense is fixed. I want to make that very clear on the front end. However, the guys that they would need to get going in order to fix the offense have been hitting better of late. Dylan Carlson at the top of the lineup is batting about 300 in his last 10 games with a 900 OPS. Nolan Arenado in his last 10 games is batting 300 with a 1200 OPS. Paul Goldschmidt over his last really 15 games or so now is batting 260, but he's batting with a little bit more power of late. He's got a few home runs in that span. This is what they needed. They need the top of the lineup to really get things going. If they can add one more guy to those three to be able to extend this a little bit, whether it's Tommy Edmond against lefties like we saw last night at the top of the lineup or Tyler O'Neill finding his groove again, he's lost it. He's he's out in front a little bit right now. Yadier Molina getting things going. Whoever it is, doesn't much matter who it is. They need one more guy to add to Arenado, Goldie, and Carlson. And this offense, I do think, will start looking pretty good again. So what I just heard is they need to trade for a leadoff hitter. 
Okay. Is that what I heard? I mean, BK does want to get I rid think of the utility it, guys. Tell so Marte's got like a 370 batting average. Or can something? we do something real quick? No. Can we, oh. as a show, agree well. that we are going to talk about internal options because that's what's realistic right now? What? Like what? for the next two weeks, they're not making a move. So let's talk about what they have on the roster currently. Is that fair? Fine. Because they're, they're not trading for a pitcher. For the next yeah, two weeks at a minimum. They're not trading for a pitcher. And they're not trading for a position player at least for the next two oh, weeks. I thought we so, were going to get Cattell Marte. No. He's hurt right now anyways. That's fine. It's probably cheaper if you get him hurt. Well, let's talk about the internal options. Are, is this? Do you agree that this is kind of the start of what would need to happen? This is the foundation of what would be potentially a good offense if things get back on track. Yeah, especially if the the... The reports are true from Mike Schilt earlier this afternoon that says Bader might join the team in Colorado. I mean, that's huge. And I know, you know, Mike Farron told us this a couple days ago. I know Bader's not the end-all be-all with this offense, but it does solidify the bottom of your order, which also I think puts a little more of a a threat for the top of the order to make some damage. If you got guys at the bottom that are getting on base, especially with Edmundo Sosa's play as of late. As much as I want to jump on board with the offense breaking out of this slumper, as Mike Schilt likes to call it, you know, we're coming on the other end of this. <laughs> I'm not so sure they are. And I just, I look at the small sample size and I know here comes negative Nancy once again. This is unbelievable. But you scored one run against the Diamondbacks until that pitcher basically's arm f- f- fell off and you scored six runs on him. In game one, yeah. And then last night, I mean, you didn't have anything until Nolan Arenado hit that bomb. For me, it's still individual right now. Like, you're not getting a performance from everyone. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, you're only getting one guy in the lineup. Like, the, the game against the Arizona Diamondbacks, that was Paul DeYoung's game. The game against the Pirates, that was Paul Goldschmidt's game. Last night, that was Nolan, Nolan Arenado's game. Yeah. You haven't gotten a game that feels like it's three guys' game. And, and that's the problem for me. Like, if I look around the National, uh, the National League right now, just the teams that you're competing with, the Brewers, I mean, you're getting... Everyone contributing. The Cubs, everyone contributing. The Cardinals are still in this rut where it's one guy that's breaking through, which is awesome, but you need three or four guys to be stepping up right now. I I kind of agree with that because it does feel like there are these games where it's just one guy, but I've seen a lot of guys being on base. We mentioned it uh, yesterday in game one. The Cardinals had, I think it was first and third with nobody out and Goldie and Arnado coming up. So that means guys are getting on base. They just didn't come through. So that means, I, to me, they're getting close to breaking out of the rut. The guy that's going to do it for me is going to be Paul DeYoung because I think Tyler O'Neill's getting ready to hit his. I think Paul DeYoung's starting to figure it out. I, I think he looks better at the plate. He's laying off some pitches. He's, uh, again, if you look at the advanced metrics, there are times where he's hitting the ball hard still, and there's times where it's not hard at all. But I, I look at him in his last five games, or sorry, six games, He's hitting 250. He's got two homers, four RBIs, the two walks, four strikeouts. He's been on base uh, another two times because of hit by pitch. I think we're starting to see Paul DeYoung kind of, I don't want to say figure it out, but I, I think we're going to see Paul DeYoung go on a stretch here before too long, maybe right before the All-Star break, where he is back to the normal Paul DeYoung that we expect. And if he can get back to that level, then I think we're really going to see the offense come out. Because I think Arnado, Goldie, and Carlson – and I'll even throw Edmund into this. I think those four guys are about to bust through, and then when we add Paul DeYoung into that, there's the five guys deep that we've talked about. Yeah, and that's what they need. They they need one more to add to that kind of top three or four, and if they can get that suddenly, you're going to feel pretty good about where this offense is. I think what you say is totally fair, Alex. They haven't had enough sustained pressure. It's almost like instead of being a like keep-the-line-moving type of an offense, it's, hey, let's get a run here. Let's get 
a home run here, and then it just stops. There's no rally. It's just a a little bit of uh, oomph, and then it it pulls back, right? So it's it's not any sort of sustained pressure, and that's what they need to start developing more of. But given where this offense was, these baby steps that we're seeing, the fact that Arenado looks locked in right now, and he's he's looked really good at the plate of late. He's got eight extra base hits in yeah. his last 10 games, and Carlson, I think, looks really good at the plate right now as well. That is very, very encouraging, and sometimes you just got to take these little baby steps, and that's where we're at with the Cardinals right now. Are you guys buying what we're seeing against the Diamondbacks, or is this as simple as the Diamondbacks stink? Because I'm as excited as I am about what we're seeing from the, those three guys, the top three in your order on, on most days. I certainly want to see it more against Colorado. I'm buying. That's a series where I'll start to believe. I'm buying more into what they did last night compared to what they did against Arizona in the game one because Caleb Smith's a decent pitcher. I mean, and you grinded that victory out against him. I mean, he scored two runs. He had eight strikeouts. At some point, it felt like it wasn't going to happen. And look, you capitalized on the error. And that's the part that I'm like, okay, you need to do that. Um, If they do it again today. Maybe I'm buying in a little bit more. I need to see it against a little bit higher level talent. And I think Colorado is going to be a good test for it because at home, Colorado has been good this year. And I mean, I know you're not going to see Armand Marquez in that series, but if I'm not mistaken, you'll see John Gray. Um, That's at least a little bit more of a caliber offense that I look at and say, okay, now we're starting to feel this a little bit more against this talent. You'll see Marquez on Sunday. He'll be, he'll be going Didn't he on just Sunday. pitch last night. Mm-hmm. It's a four game set. That makes sense. It's a four game. I thought today was Thursday. Man, it's only Wednesday. Update. Uh, Colorado is, by the way, six and thirty-one on the road. You saw them here at Bush. I'd feel really good about the Cardinals finding a way. They're actually worse this year on the road than the Diamondbacks are, which is hard to believe given what the Diamondbacks have done of late. But they're twenty-seven and sixteen at home. That is not going to be an easy series for the Cardinals. So if they can take three out of four on the road in Colorado, that will be indicative that some things have started getting back on track for this team. From the 636, the Diamondbacks don't stink, they suck. How do you measure that? Okay. Like, where do you measure the stink, the stink to suck ratio? I don't know. Like, like Pirates stink, Diamondbacks suck? I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Okay, then where are the Colorado Rockies? Stink. Stink, stank, stunk. With Oof. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll get into some questions and answers in about 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, we'll continue our Blues icebreaker questions with question number three. What is Vladdy Tarasenko's impact on the Blues offseason? Not just for his future, but for the other things that the Blues can do. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's time for the Blues Icebreakers. Question number three. What is Vladimir Tarasenko's impact on the offseason for the Blues? Let's start by hearing what Brian Lawton, a former NHL player, agent, and general manager, told us about this at the beginning of the month, Alex. And then we'll advance the story to where we are today. You look at the lineup. We talked about this in one of our meetings the other day. And definitely That's not, not Brian, Brian Lawton. Jeez. <laughs> You'd love to trade him first. You'd investigate that. But if you can't, just to get that cap hit off your books, to get the money to maybe reconstruct your team the way you believe it should be, is a worthwhile exercise to go through. But if you go that route and you don't protect him, 
then you definitely are reducing your chances to trade him over the summer. You can always come back next year at the trade deadline and what have you and take another shot at it, but that will hurt your value in the open market this it summer. sounds like that's exactly what the Blues are doing. If you're, read- if you're reading the reporting that's gone out over the last few days, Frank Saravalli of uh, the Daily Faceoff, reported that the Blues are at least exploring trade possibilities with Vladimir Tarasenko and Vladdy has given the Blues a list of teams that he would be interested in going to that he would waive his no trade clause for Alex what is this impact for the Blues this offseason I think it's really impactful and there's a couple of ways to look at this one it's impactful because you're opening up cap space like 7.5 million dollars you can do a lot with that this upcoming free agency. We've already talked about how you have 17 million in cap space this free agency, and we've talked about names that can be upgrades. Well, if you take another $7.5 million off of the books, we're talking about $24.5 million that you could spend. And we've talked about the amount of holes that are on this team. You got defense that you need to get bigger. You need two sides of the left wing. You could look at bringing back Jaden Schwartz to a team-friendly deal. You have a cheap Jordan Cairo who could be a second-line right winger. So in terms of Vladdy's impact without that money, I think it's huge because you can go out there and go for Gabriel Landeskog. You can go out there and go for Brandon Saad. Heck, you could go out there and try and make a big splash in the trade market. But there's a flip side of this. And I heard Jamie Rivers talk about this on the fast lane yesterday, and I think it's important. Don't be so quick to count out Vladdy's impact on this team if he's still here. Now, I know people are saying, oh, well, he wants to trade. Get him out of here because he doesn't want to be here. No, I don't think that's it. I think Vladdy feels like his role is diminishing in St. Louis because Jordan Cairo's emergence, David Perron's play. Vladdy wants to be impactful. That's why he's looking at it, you know, trade me and I'll go somewhere and I'll be a number one guy. If you don't get a trade this offseason, you tell Vladdy, look, we'll move you still, but you need to go out there and make yourself valuable to these teams. And I think that could be big for the Blues, even if you don't move him until the trade deadline or next offseason. You have one year of Vladdy where he goes all out, shows how strong that shoulder is, goes out and performs to be a 30 to 35 goal scorer. Then you move him. Then you get assets back in return with that on top of the money. So there's two sides of looking at this. I think this is going to be impactful for the Blues offseason because with or without Vladdy, you're going to upgrade your team. And I think that keeps your championship window open. So let's do the without, for example, for for an instance, right? Um, if you were to trade Vladimir Tarasenko, as you said, you get about $25 million. Let's just keep it even uh, in terms of the overall amount of money that, that you would then have available. If you then talk about the restricted free agents that the Blues have, you've got Barbashev, Sanford, Kairou, Thomas. If we assume they bring all of those guys back, and let's just say it costs them about $8 million, $2 million per be around there maybe it's a little more maybe it's a little less but somewhere around that range you're looking at 17 million now that you still have available to actually use for other players whether that be via trade or free agency and that is a lot of coin that you can go out there and get some good players with you can now go get a seven million dollar player basically one for one with Vladdy. still got 10 million dollars to play with now you can maybe go get brandon sod for five ish and you can go get jamie alexiak for five-ish. And then if you make any other deals, if you lose somebody in the uh, expansion draft, now you're talking about really kind of overhauling what your team looks like going into next year. So what is the impact that Vladimir Tarasenko has on you? It completely opens up the realm of the possibility for Doug Armstrong. If he wants to be aggressive, 
You've got to move one of these big-time contracts that the Blues have on the books right now, and the only ones that really are movable are Vladdy Tarasenko or, if you want to go this route, Tory Krug. Those are the two guys that make the most sense for the Blues if they want to open up big-time space. And I think there's another way to look at this, too, with Vladdy in terms of not being on the team because, look, Vladdy wants a change of scenery if that's why he's requesting a trade, and there's guys out there that need the same. So can I throw you guys a curveball real quick or a knuckle puck? How about a Ferrari 05? An impromptu Ferrari 05. T-Bone hit the open. You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario 5. A top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. All right, I got five of these for you. Five destinations that make sense that you could upgrade your team and trade Vladdy to. We are getting a Ferrari oh. 05 Guys, today. I like to hold secrets it's every like once in a while. Bonus. I know this is a bonus Ferrari this 05. This is like the bonus fry in the McDonald's bag. Amen, brother. And it's always crunchy too. It's always crunchy. So there's five teams that I feel like you could make a move with Vladdy if you're Doug Armstrong and you could get two, like a hockey trade, swap of scenery to upgrade your team. One team is Washington. We've talked about this. Evgeny Kuznetsov, Vladdy idolizes Alex Ovechkin. He's going to go to a contending team. Washington is going to lose an impact player in this expansion draft. They might lose TJ Oshie. So if that's the case, you lose TJ, you go get Vladdy. I think that would be huge for Washington. If you could make a trade to get Kuznetsov, yes, needs a change of scenery, but he matches what the Blues want. So that's my first one. Washington, you make a trade with. Okay. The second team the New York Rangers. If you remember correctly, we talked a couple of weeks ago about change of scenery on another Ferrario five. And I mentioned the name Pavel Buchnevich. There's a restricted free agent. I think he's 26 years old. He's a guy who plays two ways. He can match Craig Ruby's system and Vladdy gets reunited with our Timmy Panarin. And he's a lefty. Yeah, he's a lefty. That's important. Vladdy and Artemi Panarin are like best friends. If you remember the report, Vladdy wanted the Blues to get Artemi Panarin. They didn't. He went to Chicago, became a superstar. Would have been nice to have now, him working. Now, <laughs> now the Rangers are going to have some cap problems, especially if they acquire a $7.5 million player. But they have other decisions to make with some of the roster players. You're not exchanging salaries, but I don't know if New York can re-sign the restricted free agent. So it's a one-for-one one player. Third team are the L.A. Kings. This one's tough, but I know Vlad, well, I don't know, but I would imagine Vladdy wants to play in L.A. Not so much because of the competition, but because of the big market. I don't know who you could acquire in L.A., and there's reports out there that Rob Blake would be interested in Vladimir Tarasenko. That's the one that I can't give you a name on, but you might be able to include another team and go a three-person trade route. Dustin Brown overpaid for a 36 year old. That's I wouldn't do it. What I, I'm just looking for money that could make sense going the other yeah, direction. The only guy that would make sense is Andre Kopitar or Drew Doughty. And I can tell you right now, they're not trading those guys for Vladdy. And the Blues aren't going to take on the $11 million per year on Doughty. So maybe you include another team to make a three way trade. Maybe you include draft pick compensation to LA. Vladdy goes to LA and you get a player from that third team. That's one that I'd keep an eye on just because yeah. I've heard the name brought up. Two more, real quick. The Arizona Coyotes, Bill Armstrong, the former director of amateur scouting for the Blues, was a part of the draft for Vladimir Tarasenko. Arizona is a team that's on the cusp of competing. Now, they're a little bit above the salary cap, but they got some players they got to make decisions with. What if you go out there and you go for Connor Garland? You give Connor Garland some money as a restricted free agent. Now, again, Arizona is going to have to move some other money, but they're in the talks of trading Oliver Ekman Larson, of trading away Phil Kessel. Connor Garland kills the Blues, so you might as well go hey, ahead and they're in your division next year, so you might as well get him. But I think he's a perfect second line left winger, right? 
Then you bring back Jaden Schwartz, and Schwartz can play the top line. You have a reasonable salary, and you wait until Matthew Kachuk becomes available. Or you go out and get Brandon Saad. Or you go get Brandon Saad. Look at you. You're just building a cup-contending team. All right, my fifth one, Ferrario 5. Five teams that I think you could do a hockey trade with for the Blues. Columbus Blue Jackets. Yarmo Kekalainen, also a part of the team that drafted Vladimir Tarasenko, very familiar with him. They got two guys that I think you look into. One doesn't make a lot of sense, but I would take a chance on it. Patrick Laine matches a lot of what Blues issues are with Vladimir Tarasenko. Yeah, I don't think that fits. But he's a former 45-goal scorer. Yeah. And if you could find a way to get him to buy into the system, my God, like awesome. The other one is Max Domi. And I'd have to ask Jamie Rivers about this one because I don't know too much about this player. He's moved from Montreal. He's been with Arizona, and now he's with Columbus. Might be a player that is a difficult locker room person. I'm not sure of, but he's another two-way forward who could play the second line left wing for you. He's a physical player, goes to the front of the net, smaller with speed. I would look into that because, again, you're getting that second line left winger, and then you search for that top left winger. Do you think that Columbus would be a team that would be interested in Vladdy, though? Because I, it, it seems like they're, with their coaching situation, they would have the same issues with Vladdy that the Blues do. I Just just honest question. No, it's 100% honest question, and I don't know with that, but I'm going the connection route of Yarmo Kekalainen, and, and I really think that they would be interested because Vladdy is a guy that Yarmo knows and saw the success from. It's a guy you're taking a chance on, but it's also a guy that if you can click some, if you can strike some gold with them, 35 goal score and Columbus is on the cusp sure. of contending with, um, with their roster. So I'm not sure how that one works. They do need right wingers. And I think he matches a lot with what they would want. But again, you'd have to get a player in return. That makes sense for you. So the Ferrario five, five places that would make sense for Vladimir Tarasenko to be traded Washington, New York with the Rangers, the LA Kings, Arizona and Columbus. Those are the Ferrario five sure. out of those. You think Washington is number one. I would put, Actually, I think I would put the Rangers as number one, Washington number two. Interesting. I would have the Kings as number three, though, because I, I think you you include another team and make it a three-way trade. Arizona and Columbus are reaching, but I'm going with the connections there. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Adam Wainwright spoke earlier today on Carriker and Smallman about what his future will hold and what will go into his decision on whether or not to play next year. We'll react to some of that at 12 o'clock. Coming up next, though, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. We'll get to some of your questions here in just a minute, but I have a question to kick things off for you guys. I'm giving you $100. I'll give you a $100 bill here. That's not a Alex. question. That's an answer. Yeah, that's an answer, One and I'll take that. You. Can you put it in my wallet, please? I will allow you to use oh, this $100 to bet on somebody to win the MVP this year in the NFL. I have sent you the odds for the MVP. Who are you putting that $100 on based on their odds? Josh Allen. Josh Allen is 11 to 1. So Patrick Mahomes is 4.5 to 1. Aaron Rodgers 10 to 1. And then Josh Allen has the third best odds in the league right now. Can Aaron Rodgers win the MVP if he doesn't play? Uh, I think that'd be tough. I mean, maybe you could give it to him. I mean, it would prove he might be most valuable player. I'm putting on Josh Allen. I'm putting on Josh Allen. All of it? All of it. Wow. I, I think he's in for a big year. I was listening to Get Up this morning, and they were talking. I, I forgot who. I think it was Dan Orlovsky that said it. He's the number two quarterback with the most pressure on him this this season. I don't see that. I think there's other guys that have a lot more pressure on them. Is he saying, like, to take that next step into stardom? I feel like it maybe. Because it, 
let's do the revisionist history type of thing, right? Where we're skipping forward to February. Josh Allen just won the Super Bowl. We're probably talking about him as being in that elite category. Oh, yeah. We're talking you Patrick know? Mahomes category for yeah. how quick that he would ascend to that, that level. So I guess that makes sense. I just I'm looking at a big year with him. The offensive line stays intact. The defense is really good. You Second have a year with Stefan Diggs. Stephon Diggs. And I just I feel like that's a team that can be effective. So, yeah, I'm putting one hundred dollars on Josh Allen. By the way, I've done a little research into this over the last oh. few days because I might be doing like a, a little bit of a wager. On we're, my going, own. we're going prop bet. You Daniel want me sports in? Book. Um, you basically to win the MVP and this is not stunning, but to win the MVP over the last decade or so, it's been quarterback on a team that gets a top two seed. That's the end of the list. So you've got like 10 ish teams that are even qualified for this. So don't pick a quarterback on a team that you think has got a chance to go like nine and seven this year. Cause he's going to get big numbers and don't pick anybody other than a quarterback. That's stunning. Okay. <laughs> Tanner, what do you have? <laughs> well, I'm going to put down uh three bets. I think I'm going to put, how's this guy put three bets down? What? You can't, you can't split a hundred dollars three ways. Sure. You can. How do you do that? Well, you go 95, five. Boom. Okay. Who are you going you know, with? It's not a great split, but it's a split. I, I think money. I think for ninety dollars, I'm going to put money on Lamar Jackson. I think Lamar Jackson is going to have a great year. I still don't know if he's going to take that next step. He's got all the pieces he needs right now. This, this is his big year. I think he'll play well. I, I like him as my favorite for MVP. And if I had to put another five on two guys to keep an eye on, one would be Dak Prescott. I think he's going to do well. I just don't know if they're going to be that top two seed like you're talking about because they don't have a defense uh, and I wouldn't be I would be willing to put money on Matthew Stafford. I, I think that I think Stafford has a big year with Sean McVay in the LA Rams. I think it's in play. They <laughs> just run no. the ball so damn much. <laughs> that means no. And it's such a tough division. You know, they had to run the ball because their quarterback sucked. That's a good point. That's a good point. It's and I'm pretty sure Goff five lost bucks a at finger. 16 to 1 is not bad. Goff has got a finger missing? I think so. What? Remember he broke his finger? No, that's Jason yeah, Pierre Paul. Sure. Disappeared. It's Jason Pierre Paul. Oh, yeah. For my hundred dollars, I'm gonna do what I Ooh, never Patrick thought Holmes. that I would do in my life. I'm gonna put sixty bucks on Tom Brady. Whoa. Tom Brady is thirteen to one. It feels like, given the comments that he just made, this year, next year could be the final year of his career. There's going to be a lot of narrative surrounding Tom Brady this year. And if they end up being a number one or two seed again in the NFC and they look like a real contender to win another Super Bowl with Tom Brady down in Tampa, he's got the supporting cast. We all know that second year in the system. I think Tom Brady's got he's got a real shot to be able to win the MVP this year. I'm going to put 20 bucks on Russell Wilson at 18 to one. Why? Russ For Cook, 12 man. weeks last year, we thought he was winning the damn yeah, thing. What happened those last five, six weeks? Well, it didn't go well. <laughs> he like literally fell off a cliff. That's true. Um, but for the first 12 weeks, it was great. Oh, sorry. And then the last guy that I'm going to put 20 bucks on is Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert. He's awesome. He's at 22 to one. I don't think they're going to be able to win the number one seed. But if they end up being the best team in the AFC West, they're probably also going to be the best team in the AFC because that means they're better than the Chiefs. And if he has a couple of big games against the Chiefs head to head, Justin Herbert's not out of the realm of the possibility. He could be that year two quarterback that wins it the way that we saw with Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. Both of them won it in year two as well. So 60 bucks on Tom Brady, 20 on Russell Wilson, 20 on Justin Herbert for me. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Hey guys, do you believe that you would trade Nolan Gorman, 
Zach Thompson, Paul DeYoung, and a few other pieces. I'll just go ahead and throw those out there. I love oh. a few extra pieces. Yeah. Some other guys. For Trevor Story and Herman Marquez with Story signing an extension. So you're giving up Gorman, Thompson, DeYoung, and a few extra pieces. For Trevor Story and Herman Marquez, are you willing to do that? Can I can I can I see behind door number two of what those extra pieces are? No, it's locked. Oh, okay. We lost. You just you have extra pieces. Prospects. Prospects. Okay. And no, Anthony Stalter was texting in. Um, I'd pull that deal off. I mean, I know Norlin Gorman's supposed to be awesome, but you already know what Trevor Story is. And if I can have Trevor Story extended and get Herman Marquez, who we saw last night, other than Bob Nightingale ruining it for him, he had a no-hitter going into the ninth inning. I, I, that sets you up to be a contender next year, and I don't I don't think Paul DeYoung would have a role next year. Um, I don't know if Zach Thompson really has a role in your rotation next year. And with Trevor Story, I don't really need Nolan Gorman. So, yeah, I'd pull the deal. I don't think I would. I think Nolan Gorman's going to be a really good player, and I am not going to part with him. Now, if you told me Libertor and Thompson were in that, now, granted, that may hurt my future in terms of pitching, then maybe I would. Or even if you threw Jordan Walker in that in that talk, I might consider it. Hold on, you're going to trade Jordan Walker, but you won't trade Nolan Gorman? Nolan Gorman's closer, that's why. Yeah, I'm not uh, trading Jordan Walker. Yeah, but Jordan Walker was just I know, I know. to Pujols and Taveras. Yeah, well, that's a big comp. I'm not trading him. I'm I mean, I, I don't want to trade him. If I had to replace Gorman to get that deal done, then I would throw his name in there. But I'm not I trading Gorman. I would trade Gorman. Gorman before I would trade Jordan Walker. No doubt about it. I'm not, trading, I'm not trading Gorman. Why? Gorman is going to be a star for the Cardinals. Gorman's a home run hitter. Jordan Walker's an all-around hitter. You got a lot of home run hitters. So in this deal, I get Trevor Story, right? And Trevor Story is Nolan Gorman, just better. And he plays what position? Shortstop. I have Paul DeYoung. Oh, God. I'll take that. No, you like that 169 batting average. He can enjoy his team with Paul DeYoung and without Jordan Walker. I'll take Trevor Story and Jordan Walker. This is why you are not good at MLB The Show, T-Bone. Dude, I will beat you, you bot. <laughs> what? <laughs> what he just, just happened? He just nerd insulted me. It's fine. Um, I'm with you, T-Bone. I got it. Last question. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 314. Guys, which team do, would you pick in the NFL that missed the playoffs this year that you think not only will make it to the postseason this year, but might even have a sh- chance to make it to the second round? So team that missed the playoffs last year that has a real chance to be able to make a run in the playoffs this year. Is there anybody that you see that fits that criteria? Did Miami missed the playoffs. They did. I think that would be my team. They did. I know. I didn't think they did. I could have sworn. I thought the they got in. Uh, I, I, my pick would be Miami. The Indianapolis Colts made the playoffs last year. Yeah, well, that's not going to happen that. again because they got Carson Wentz as their quarterback. Miami's a really good pick, actually. Yeah, I think Miami. I think Miami could get to the second round. It all it all resides on Tua. I think I would go with the Chargers. Oh, the six three six back. He's picking the Vikings and Kirk Cousins. <laughs> six three six. <laughs> Come Kirk on, Cousins man. Is so th- overrated. I thought the Chargers got in. BK. I think there's actually there's actually a lot of teams this year that could fit into this criteria more so than normal, in my opinion. The Dolphins, I think, fit that. Would you be stunned if the Patriots made it to the second round? No, I, I would be. Not with really? the money that they spend and not with Mac Jones. I think if Mac Jones gets it midseason, I think he's effective. I just don't see New England being very good. I tend to agree, but I would not be shocked if they, if Mac Jones is a game manager, Bill Belichick does Bill Belichick stuff. The defense is awesome again. Like I could see them. Yeah. Dallas has to be one of these two. The Chargers would be on this list. Dallas would be on this list for me as well. That, that offense could be the best in the league this year. Totally I would put, in play. I would put Denver on this list. They've got a great Who's defense. Who's their quarterback? 
Well, I think Teddy Bridgewater, but I'm not 100% sure on that. That's the problem. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure on who New England's quarterback's going to be. Well, it's yeah, Mac Jones if, by week seven. And one of them has Bill Belichick. So I'll, I'll go with the Patriots. Uh, the uh, other one, They have that old guy. The other one will be the 49ers. Yeah, they're going to be good. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I think they're going to be awesome this it year. It is sad that I keep forgetting, like, because I thought the 49ers were in. I thought the Chargers were in. God, this one happens when you let the Indianapolis Colts in the playoffs. Coming up next, Adam Wainwright spoke about his future earlier today on Carriker and Smallman. What he have to say and what does it mean for the Cardinals, both for this year and for 2022? We'll talk about it next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Alex Ferrario, he's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Just talking about letters of resignation off the air. What happened? Did you turn yours in? No, not yet. <laughs> Ferrario and Tebow? No, man. No, it's just it a Ferrario was, show. Just to be very clear, oh. there will be no letters of res- resignation for me. If they fire me, I'll be gone, but I'm not leaving on my own volition. Come on! <laughs> Sorry, man. Uh, speaking of leaving on their own, Adam Wainwright sounds like he might be getting close to the end here. That was an awesome transition. In his Cardinals career and his baseball career as a whole. He talked to Ken Rosenthal about that yesterday, and that's really where this news kind of started. And basically said, hey, listen, I'm not pitching beyond 2022. This year might be my last year, but I will not pitch beyond next season. So he was on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today. It was a great conversation, as it is every week with Wednesdays with Wayno. And I wanted to listen to a couple of the quotes that he gave uh, Carriker and Smallman. Let's start out with his decision on what it's going to come down to, whether or not he's going to play next year. Uh, I haven't decided anything because uh, there's just so much. There's just so much that, that makes that decision for itself. You know, there's a lot of family stuff to consider. There's uh, my oldest daughter's going into high school. What is that? situation look like does it do i need to be there full time is that a is uh is performance still good enough is is there still a need from the team is uh is my health great is my little son i mean he does better when i'm home you know i mean so it's just like there's a lot of things that will have to iron itself out there's also in play is the uh the labor agreement is up and so there's a there's just a whole lot of stuff that i just don't want to deal with between players and owners anymore and man i didn't even think about the labor situation that's going to really dictate adam wainwright's future i mean this really could be his last season without his control if it goes into a labor i just don't see him waiting a full year and then coming back the next year you know i think it's really interesting that he's talking about the end because I've heard this from a lot of athletes in the past. Once you start thinking about retirement, typically that means that it's coming. Like in the very near future. I don't know if that means this is his final year or not. Maybe it is he's going to go through next offseason as well. But when you start thinking as an athlete, I'm just guessing here, and I'm sure BT or, or Jamie could give us a little bit more insight into this, but when you start thinking about what it would be like to be home with your family more often, to be able to spend time doing some of the things that you've missed out on over the years, because as much as baseball is a glamorous job, it is a grind. And for six, seven months out of the year, you're gone half of the time. Half of the time, you're in a different city. You can't be with your family the way that you would want to be. And Wayno is certainly a family man. That's something that's very important to him. So for him to be speaking openly and honestly about this now in the middle of 2021 
it does make me wonder if he's really thinking about maybe this is the end. Maybe this is it for him. And so I guess my question to you, Alex, would be, what does that mean for the Cardinals? Like, if you're hearing this and you're in John Mosellock's shoes, does this make you feel a little bit more urgency? And I also wonder if maybe that's part of the genesis of this. Is Wayno trying to spark some urgency from the Cardinals? Be like, hey, guys, me and Yachty don't have a bunch of time left, and we would like to go out as winners together. Let's go ahead and get this thing in high gear, and maybe that does spur a little bit of action from the front office side of things. I mean, I'm sure it's brought up, but I just, for the way that we know John Mosellock, I don't see him you know, making these earth-shattering moves because Wayno and Yachty are going to call it a career after the season. I just, it doesn't seem like Mo's the kind of guy that operates like that. Now, I'm sure Wayno's talking to the guys in the locker room. You know, maybe that's what goes into the focus conversation with Carlos. Like, Carlos, we need you, man. This is this might be my final year. This might be Yachty's final year. We want to go out on top. Maybe the player side of things makes a difference. I don't think it makes a difference from the front office point of view, and I'm not saying that to be cruel towards Wayno or sure. Yachty. I'm just saying Mo doesn't operate like that. It really seems like he always talks about big picture rather than smaller pictures. And I think that would be a smaller picture in in Mo's mind. I'm with you. I, and it's again, it's not a shot against Yadi or Wayno, but it it does feel that way. It does feel like Mo's not going to push all the chips in for this year, especially looking at this team now. There's just too many holes. Next year's the year though where I could see it, and that's that's still kind of the smaller picture. But I, you head into next year, and if Wayno does come back and you know it's his final year, you probably would assume it's more than likely going to be Yachty's. And you've got Nolan Gorman coming through the pipeline with Libertor and Thompson, and you've got, what I think, $60 million coming off the books, and you can go spend to fill some of these holes. That's when it feels like you push everything towards the middle. If this team was com- – I don't want to say competitive because I still think this team's going to be fighting for the NL Central. If this team wasn't – I said earlier this week they're going to finish, be in fourth place by the time we get to the All-Star break. If this team is within 10 ga- was within 10 games by the time we hit the All-Star break, then we might see a little bit of urgency. Simo push some pieces in towards the middle. I mean, they're going to be within gonna, 10 games, they're gonna, I would think. I don't know. I mean, if you go through, it's a tough road trip coming up. You lose some of those. You may not be within 10 see, games. next season's so interesting for me with Wayno. In this next quote that he had on Carriker and Smallman, BK, this was the one for me that I'm like, okay, I think I think Wayno's going to be back for one more year. I don't know. Jeff Supon always told me, play as long as you can because you can never go back. But, you know, I don't think anyone's ever going to scoff at a 40-year-old man retiring <laughs> from baseball. <laughs> you know, that, that's not like I'll look back and be like, man, if I would have just played till I was 45, it would have been great. You know, and I just don't think I'll do that, you know. So um, I want to walk away still being good, still being wanted, still still on top of my game so to say, and uh, but also um, at the right time where I won't regret it. A quote, I want to walk away when I'm still good and I'm still wanted. Next season, well, we already know he's going to be good because we've seen it this year, and we've seen it for two straight years. He's going to be wanted next year. He's going to be wanted bad by the Cardinals because of what T-Bone said. $60 million, you have a competitive team already in place. You can add pieces. The cherry on top of the Sunday... Sunda? Sunday. Sunda. Sunda. I call it a Sunda. Maybe that's a Midwest thing. It, it's it's not. I'm from the Midwest. I've oh, never okay. called it No, you're from Illinois. It doesn't count. What? The cherry on top of all of this, if you can add competitive pieces with that $60 million, is bringing back Wayne Owen Yachty. So I think after hearing that quote, 
2022 will be Wayno and Yachty's final year because he's going to be still good. So will Yachty. They're both going to be desperately wanted by this Cards team. See, that's why I wonder if he's laying the breadcrumbs of this being his last year. And I'm not I'm not reporting that this is the case. I'm just honestly, it's a tinfoil theory in some ways, Alex. Like, I wonder if what he's trying to tell people is, hey, listen, I love doing this, but it's not it doesn't define me as a person. And I want to leave while I'm still at the top of my game, while I'm still wanted. And you mentioned it. He's going to be wanted this offseason. He is at the top of his game right now. If that's what he wants to leave the game as, and it's part of why he didn't leave the game after 2018, 2017, when he was going through some of those struggles, both with the injuries and just his performance as a whole, well, then this would be the perfect time to walk away. I don't know that you're going to get better in those two regards than what he will have this offseason. Yeah, but do you really want to walk away when the team has money to spend and they might be even more? Like, do you really want to walk away from the game where there's a shot where you could still contend? I get you wanting to walk away if you're still good, but do you want to walk away when you're still good, but the team is still competitive? That's the part for me that I'd be if I if and again, I'm not way. No, I don't. I don't have the family that he has that's going into high school and he has a a new baby boy. Like, I don't have that. But if I'm him and I know that there's a shot to spend a lot of money next season and be even more competitive and I'm wanted. With my sensibilities, I agree with you completely. But Wayno being 40 years old, who's got that family. Yeah, that's the hard part. I just don't know. I I don't know where his priorities are right now. And obviously his, his number one priority today is to continue being a great pitcher for the Cardinals. And he's been that for them this year and they've needed it in a really bad way. I can't imagine where this team would be without him. But if I'm the Cardinals, I think the way I approach the rest of the season is as if it's his last year. And if that changes in the off season, great. But I can't expect Wayno to be back next year unless he's told you that behind the scenes. Hey, I'm going to be saying some of this stuff, but just know I'm going to be back if you guys want me to be here. If that's what's happening behind the scenes, more power to him, and they don't have to approach it this way. But if that hasn't happened, they need to show some urgency yeah. to, to make sure that they make good on what could be the final year of Adam Wainwright's career here in St. Louis because it's, it is worthy of them His legacy here in St. Louis is worthy of them going for it this year. Not all in, to your point, Tanner. They should not go all in on this team. But they should show some urgency and they should try to improve the club if if there's anything out there available to them. At least give them the feel that it's like, hey... We're going to try and win with you guys. You know, we're not going to be able to give up Gorman and Libator and Thompson, but we're going to give up some pieces because we want to win with you guys. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Jamie might have been on to something when he talked about a certain superstar in hockey and the Blues maybe going a little rogue with him. We'll talk about that in 15 minutes. But coming up next, you give us two options. We'll tell you which one is more likely. More likely to happen is next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Seven eight zero is the air comfort service tax line for more likely to happen. You give us two options. We will tell you which one is more likely. Let's start with this most one. Likely. Or, yeah, I was going to say most likely. Could be any of the above. More <laughs> likely to be a blue next season. Jaden Schwartz or Vladimir Tarasenko? That's a really interesting question. God, you were so excited about it. Why don't you answer it? I think it's a great question. Why don't you answer it then? I actually think the answer is Jaden Schwartz. Well, uh, you almost said Vladdy. 
I, yeah, I don't even know if you know your yeah, answer. Yeah, I don't think you know what your answer is. <laughs> I'm struggling are with you, this one. Are you sitting on the patented BK fence pending uh, any sponsorships yeah, that want to jump on board with Kirkwood us? Kirkwood Fence, Chesterfield Fence. Yeah, I know a fence, fence company that wants to be listening. <laughs> hey, insert it in the daily BK and Ferrario fence sitting segment. I'm happy to endorse your fence. Me too, because I need one. Oh. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> More... <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> Unless there's a hot tub company out there. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Then I'm gone. More likely Inflatable. to be a blue. Jaden Schwartz or uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. You can't say Vladimir Schwartz or Jaden Tarasenko. You have to pick one. Hold on. Applause for this. I think I'm going to go Jaden Schwartz. Question. No, not you. I do. No. I, I don't think you can go through this whole dog and pony show Whoa. and bring back Vladimir Tarasenko. Once word gets out that you're he's submitted a list of teams that he's willing to be dealt to, you've apparently openly talked about the fact that you're looking to potentially trade him. I think if he is not traded, he'll be exposed in the expansion draft. And if he is not selected in the expansion draft, I think you'll trade him afterwards. I I don't think that Vladimir Tarasenko is going to be a blue next year. That's personal opinion. That is not based on reporting pure speculation. I think Schwartz is more likely to be a blue. I'm going to say Schwartz as well. Um, I don't think he gets exposed in the expansion draft. I think you either trade him or you're keeping him on this roster. But if 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 I'm the coaching staff, I'm telling Doug Armstrong, I want Jaden Schwartz back because Schwartz matches everything that they need. Now, Schwartz is going to have to agree to a cheaper contract because they're not paying him the seven million dollars that I think he could get on the market. Um, but you don't just make a list of teams that you're willing to be traded to and not get traded. Now, there's a possibility. I just don't see that. So I would say it's more likely that Schwartz is back because I I don't know if this is the right decision but it does feel like vladimir's tenure is done in st louis i'm with you guys i think it's most likely that it's going to be Jaden schwartz that would return whatever uh just because not only with the list of uh teams that tarasenko has turned into the blues but also if if we're going to talk about kind of shaking things up after a disappointing bubble and then a disappointing season this year and trying to extend the window Moving on from Schwartz doesn't feel like that big of a shakeup. Moving on from a guy that was once your biggest star, one of the best players in hockey, now that's a shakeup, sending a little bit of a message to your team. That's why I think Vladdy is gone. Man, I I can't believe we're here. I can't either. Honestly, I, I'm really surprised. I never thought that this would ever happen. I really did. I thought Vladdy was going much like the Alex Petrangelo situation. I always thought that he would finish his career as a St. Louis Blue. But and again, this is not saying that he doesn't. I mean, things can change in a in a tick of a dot or in a flip of a coin. Um, but it just doesn't feel like this is ending in the right way. And, and Doug Armstrong has shown he's not afraid to make risky moves. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen. More likely this off season for the Cardinals. They sign a big name starting pitcher or they sign a big-name position player. More likely that they end up with a big-name position player or starting pitcher in the offseason, Alex. Um, Because there's no big-name starting pitchers? Well, there's names. They're just old. Oh, there's name. Scherzer. Max Scherzer. That's a name. I would say Grinky's a big name. Dude's won what? Two Cy Youngs? Yeah. yeah, back like 10 years ago. I mean, he's a stud, though. Wayne, hey, Wayne was a stud 10 years ago. Still is. <laughs> I don't think that makes your argument very well. But anyway, I'll say big. I'll. Big. He's better than than uh, Wayno too. Oh, right now, dude, playing to the audience hate, over yeah, here. Why are you hate Wayno? Wow, Zach Greinke's amazing. I'm sorry. Zach how many, Hall of Famer. How many World Series championships does Greinke have? Okay, fair. But Zach Greinke's a Hall of Famer. Big Adam Wayno, it's a Hall of Famer. Cardinals no, he's Hall not. Of Famer. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fair. Um, I'll say position player. Marcus Stroman's free agent. He's also, a big name, right? 
a big yeah, name if you want I, him in I your... I think he, considering he used to be considered an ace and yeah. a potential yeah, so did Chris guy, Archer. Sure. So did Chris Archer, but now he's a three guy in your rotation. Or out of baseball. Is no, he he's even... still with Tampa. Oh, is he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, By the way, he's a free agent after the year, too. Oh, let's Ooh. go get him. I'll pick position player. Because I think that's going to be a need that you can upgrade in the offseason, especially if you got a lot of money to spend. I think the starting pitcher is going to come from a trade. I'm with you. I think it's a position player. And the other thing that is going to add to that is there's now another position more more likely that there's going to be another position you have to fill, and that's a DH. Because I, as much as I hate it, I believe it is coming to the National League starting next year. So I believe there's another position to where you can go spend. I think it'll be a position player. I'm kind of with you. I, I think they would have to trade for a starting pitcher. I don't even think they're going to do that. I'm afraid we're going to see them stick with what they've got. Welcome to my fence where we have both. Our <laughs> fence. Damn it, BK. A big name starting pitcher and J.D. Martinez. Oh, God. How about Scherzer and J.D. Martinez? How does that sound for your offseason, Alex? Not a big, that sounds like a really old team. <laughs> and a good one. Yeah. J.D. Martinez is okay. What he, are we doing he was with good, but He was good in the first two months of the season. What has he done for me lately? J.D. Martinez on the season is batting 300 with a okay. 900 OPS. What's his June look like? I can look it up for you. Yeah, look it I up. I can tell look you it's it not it good. I can tell you it's not good. Scherzer, I'm on board with. Go ahead, get me back. 750 OPS Oh, yeah, so does Paul DeYoung. No, no, he does not. <laughs> so no, does Tyler O'Neill. I don't even think DeYoung's at 600. Yeah, I don't it's not think good. he's at 500. I've, I've, to answer the question directly, I think it's more likely they had a big-name starting pitcher. I think they're going to learn from their mistake of this year, and they're not going to allow this to happen again in 2022. They're not going to go into the season with an innings deficit. And if you're counting on Matthew Libertor and Zach Thompson to be the stop gaps, well, we've seen this year. That's just not a guarantee. We don't know what Zach Thompson's future holds. Prospects are prospects because a lot of them bust. And Zach Thompson might not make it. He might be a great pitcher for the Cardinals, or maybe he's just going to be a guy that once upon a time had a pedigree. He ended up having some injuries that derailed his career a little bit, and maybe things go south a little bit from here. That's possible. I hope it's not, but I don't think they're going to go into next year counting on those guys in particular to fill the innings that they need. I think Oviedo probably starts next year in AAA in an ideal scenario. You're not going to have Carlos Martinez. Who knows with Hudson and Michaelis where they're going to be health-wise. So adding a guy like, whether it be Scherzer or Granke, one of those guys that you know comes in and can give you 200 innings, I think adds a lot of value to this team. So I think they're going to do one of those things. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen. More likely to start five games the rest of this season. Alex Reyes or Carlos Martinez? Carlos Martinez. I I don't see... Guys, Alex Reyes is a .98 ERA, and he is still perfect God, in save situations. Like, he's going to be an all-star. You're not taking... He is the lone reason that you're winning games. Because you go into that game last night without Alex Reyes in the 8th and ninth inning, you're losing that game against the Diamondbacks. I mean, you're losing it. So you're not going to move him to the starting position. I think he's going to get his 100 innings somehow, some way, whether it be a two-inning close like we saw last night more often than not. Um, I think next year he'll be in the starting rotation. And I think right now, Carlos is a free agent after this year. You're going to abuse that arm. You're going to abuse the arm the rest of the season because you don't have any intentions of bringing him back and you need him to get you to Jack Flaherty. So I'd say more likely Carlos. I'm going with Carlos too. Uh, it's just, I don't see them starting out Reyes at all this season, not even a spot start. I, 
I think if he's going to start, it's going to be next year. And even then, I'm not sold he's a starter next year just because the way they're and it's not because I don't think he has good stuff. I, I think it's the way they're that. playing this. I Well, I look at it and I say Jordan Hicks will determine what Alex Reyes does. If you I have no you, confidence in Hicks in the bullpen, Gallegos, Gallegos is going to be a closer for you. Gallegos could have been your closer this year and they decided not to do because that. Because you weren't ready to put Reyes into the rotation. Well, you didn't have to throw Reyes right into the starting or closing role. I think he's he your best guy. Yeah, and you're working to put Reyes in I, Memphis. He's you needed I, him up here. I think we undervalue Giovanni Gallegos because I, I think I think he has some of the best stuff on the team. Maybe right behind Alex Reyes. I, I think, think we all agree. I think that's why we're so confident in Giovanni Gallegos as a closer. But I just next year. I just think if you if you have no confidence in Jordan Hicks being back to himself, and you don't have any pluck Alex Reyes from that, your big three goes down to your big two because now that's down to Cabrera and Gallegos. You really want a big three. You really want to have three guys that you can trust in the bullpen. That's not saying that someone doesn't take that role over, but no one in the bullpen has shown me that they're going to be able to step into that role. Brian Helsley, no. I don't think there's any concern that Hicks isn't going to be a part of this team in the future. I just think you have to be hesitant not, with how I, you utilize him. I'm not concerned him. that he's not going to be a part of the team. I'm concerned that he's not going to return back to the form we well, saw before Tommy John. But you don't need him. I mean, you need him to be that. But even if he's not, Gallegos can be your closer. Cabrera can be your eighth inning guy. Who's and your Hicks, seventh? Hicks becomes your seventh. But if he's not back to himself, that's not good. At, uh, sorry, if he's not, if he can't be around where he was. If he's going to be like Ryan Helsley where there's control issues and then he's getting hit around. Yeah, I'm not allowing as hard my, as he throws, he do, he's not a strikeout pitcher. I'm not allowing my lack of a seventh no. inning option determine what I do with Alex Reyes. Yeah. Like That can't be the determining factor Because if for Reyes is awesome, you might not need a seventh inning guy. And I can go out there and acquire a seventh inning reliever. Those guys are available every offseason. If that's the issue for me, it's easier to go acquire that guy than to find somebody that can fill what Alex Reyes is both in terms of the control that you have of him contractually how young he is how good his stuff is if he if I believe he can be a starter he's in my rotation it's just more valuable than him being in the bullpen there's a reason why starters make more money and than I think relievers. you get him to 100 innings this year and I do think they'll get him to it whether it be just the regular season or regular season and postseason they'll get there and then as soon as the offseason hits it's Reyes you're a starter next year so get ready for it that's where I'm at too with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, Jamie Rivers is an evil genius. Well, that's a given fact. And he said something a month ago that now is being reported nationally. I'll tell you what that is next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Jamie Rivers Jamie. is an evil genius. Keep it going. That mother bleeper a month ago. Whoa. Whoa, okay. No need to call names. Jeez. A month ago said, you know what the Blues should do? They should get really aggressive. And here's what it sounded like as he was talking on the fast lane. If they gave me the keys to the camper and I didn't want to make any friends around the league, which is fine. I just want to win hockey games, right? I'm going to offer sheet Kale McCarr at an astronomical number if I'm the Blues. Colorado Avalanche are not going to let him go. So they're going to have to pony up, which is going to eat up all of that cap space that's going to be available to retain Kale McCarr. And when they do that, guess who they don't have money for anymore? Landeskog. Gabriel Landeskog. So now as I pivot, knowing full well I'm not getting Kale McCarr, and if I do, great, I don't care. I'll find a way to make it work because that's your franchise defenseman for the next, well, I don't know, 10, 15 years. 
Now you pivot and you have Gabriel Landeskog in your sights to where now he has no home in Colorado. Even though they want him, we just can't afford you. That is what Jamie River said a month ago. Now I was doing my morning reading and I was over on The Athletic. Pierre Lebrun, who's like Tanner, that old guy over one there. of the best reporters in the business, put out a piece and the title Kale McCarr, an offer sheet target, question mark? I continued reading. Even if the odds are very high that the abs would match, the damage it might do to Colorado as far as the player or two they would have to move to be able to match any offer sheet could be worth it alone if you are one of their Western Conference rivals. And again, you could take it to the bank. The abs front office is well aware of these things. One front office executive that I spoke with this week's figures to make it worth the offer sheet, you'd have to offer him 11 or $12 million to make it worth your time. Otherwise, what's the point? I don't know if the Blues would do this or not. My guess is probably not because if you were to actually get him, you have to give up like four first-round picks because of the way that the offer and sheet system works. And as great as Kale McCarr is, I don't know if it's worth giving up one, $12 million for Kale McCarr, and two, not having a first round pick for the next four years. I'd have to think about Is it. Is that really how it works? I, I, don't, I don't think it would be that great. So if you offer more than $10.2 million per year, you have to give up your next four, four first round picks. You talk about basically jeopardy. Like Kale McCarr will be a, a Norris Trophy defender on your team, but your team will be god awful beyond that because you have no money and no prospects. That is the worst rule I've ever heard. You know what I would do, though? What would you do? If you offer him less than 10.2, if it's between 8 and $10.2 million, all you have to give up is two first-round picks. Now that I'm doing. A second-round pick and a third-round pick. That I will do. I would go $10.2 million. And you know what? $10.2 per year over six years, and that potentially makes it very difficult for the Avalanche to be able to to keep both him and and Gabriel Landeskog and a franchise goaltender that they have to resign this year as well. And Brandon Sott. Well, I'm I'm just assuming. I don't think they're going to be able to make it work with all three. No, it's I don't either. Really tough. But I think they're going to try. Like I think in in LeBron's article, they said that the selling point four. from Sackick is telling McCarr, like, hey, let's keep the band back together and try and put a cup contender together again. Mm-hmm. And that might be a selling point for Kale McCarr. Now, money always talks. Maybe he wants some money like other guys have gotten, like Matthew Kachuk's like offer $10. sheet. Like $10.2 million over the course of six years, guaranteed from the moment that you sign the deal. Money talks right there. And look, right now, going into next season, they have uh, $39 million available to them. That's insane right now. Which is a lot until you start actually talking about what it would take to sign these guys. Well, and you, you could, also have to look a year down the road yeah. because that's when Nathan McKinnon is up for a potential extension and he's not getting the $6 million that he signed for right now. Well, he's going to be in that $12 million range. And look, you're going you're gonna to at least pay $6 million to Philip Grubauer if you want him back, which I think you have to have him back. Eric Johnson comes back next year, so that's going to add $6 million to it. It dwindles away really quick. But yeah, you can get Kale McCarr for $10, $11 million, but you're not bringing back Landeskog and Saad and Grubauer. So if I can do that, yeah, I'm pulling that move. And you know, it reminds me a lot of what happened with the Nashville Predators and Shea Weber uh, back in 2010, I believe it was. Nashville, Shea Weber was a Norris Trophy defenseman, hadn't won a cup, hadn't been to a cup final, but he was an he was one of the best defensemen in the NHL at the time. Philly offered him a 
14-year, $110 million offer she or 12 It was a lot. 14, $110 million. So Nashville matched it. And Nashville matched it, but then they realized, holy hell, we can't keep this team together. So they then traded him to Philly, or they traded him to um, Montreal. Montreal for P.K. Subban. That's kind of what I think Pierre Lebrun and Jamie Rivers were getting after. I do it if I'm Doug Armstrong because I don't. I'm not trying to make any friends, and to avoid anybody doing that to me in the future, then you get the guys locked up before they hit the offer sheet. Like that's the problem that Sackick is in if he doesn't get it done with Kale McCarr well, enough time. And it's a very rare player where it's worth it for oh, you to God, do yeah. this with, right? Like if you were Kale McCarr, the thing that makes it potentially worth it is he's young, he's a superstar. And he's already produced at this level. Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't have anybody on your roster, in my opinion, that very few do. Yeah. So I would do this in a heartbeat, and I think it's setting you up. The problem is you got to hope that you can get Gabriel Landeskog. Because if you do this and you don't get Landeskog, well, then it kind of is, was all for naught. Like, you're not getting anything well, out of this. Unless you do this, Gabriel Landeskog hits the open market, and even if you don't get him, well, the Colorado Avalanche can't get him. Right. And but, that's a rival that just got worse. Yeah. You uh, know? You they, make the division a little bit worse. Yeah, they do. But I don't know. I, I still feel like you gotta you gotta be pretty confident that you can get Gabriel Landeskog before you do that because you gotta you're get all, at least one of Landeskog or Sod because you're always worried about ticking people off and then them trying to do something to you like that. But yeah, I mean you gotta worry about getting one of those two guys. But if you can pull that off, yeah, I'm doing this deal in a heartbeat. I'm not doing the eleven million dollars though because if it does happen, and again maybe I'm in the minority here, but like Cam McCarr says, ah, screw you guys, I'm going to St. Louis for eleven million dollars a year. I don't know how good you're going to be four years from now because he's making $11 million. And on top of it, you're going to have to give up four first round draft picks. And that is a lot to give up for a player. Yeah. It's got to be 10.2 or fewer. Yeah. You you can't give up the four first rounders, but two first rounders, a second rounder and a third rounder. I I think I would be willing to do that. I know 10.2 is a ton of money. It is. And I'm not, there is no way that I can rationalize it. Otherwise, other than this guy's a stud. Yeah. If there if there is any Alex, here's a question for you. You're a hockey guy. How many defensemen right now, if we are redrafting the NHL and we're putting and you're building a roster, right? Not just for the here and now, but for the future as well. Are there any defensemen that go above Kale McCarr in that draft? Would he be the number one defenseman taken? It's Obviously a, not the number one pick, but number one defenseman selected. I, I, yeah, given I, his age. I think so, but I mean, I guess it depends on how you're viewing defensemen. Like, I mean, do you want a big kind of rugged guy? Because there's a couple of them out there that you like Seth Jones might be up there. But in terms of point production, in terms of what Kale McCarr offers, I, I think there's only a few guys that you look at that are right there with Kale McCarr. Adam Fox, who just won the Norris Trophy from the New York Rangers, I think is up there with Kale McCarr. Um, you look at Dallas with um, Miro Haskinen. He's another one that I think you put up there with Kale McCarr. But yeah, I mean, he's definitely top three in terms of all defensemen. By the way, Haskinen was another guy that they brought up as a potentially interesting guy this offseason as well for the offer sheet because he also is a restricted free agent. If you could get him, same situation with Kale McCarr. The problem is you're not really doing anything to Dallas. Dallas is already in cap hell. So, I mean, it's not like that's going to make that much of a difference. But Haskinen's another player. If you get him for nine, ten million dollars and you only got to give up two first round picks. Sure, it might jeopardize you, but he makes you a damn good team. Somebody mentions Victor Hedman as well. He's, I don't think he got an offer sheet. No, 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 no. In terms of like as a potential number one pick uh, among yeah, yeah, the yeah. defensemen, he's thirty. He's about he's, to be thirty-one. He's a bit older. Yeah, he would definitely be up there. But the reason why Kale McCarr is so valuable in a in a conversation he's like that 21? is because of his age. He's 22? 22 years old. Yeah. Like you're you're getting the next 
at a minimum, 10 years of his prime yeah. and potentially 15 years of him playing. And again, it's going to be crazy. it's going to be difference of opinion in terms of how you want to build your team. Some teams would want Victor Hedman. Some teams would rather get Kale McCarr because Kale McCarr is going to put up 50 plus points in a season. Victor Hedman might not get that for you, but he's going to be a better defenseman. And he's I mean, Kale McCarr is the quarterback on the power play. He's he's what you signed. Like You would immediately probably flip around and trade Tory Krug. If you were to get Kale McCarr, that would re- that. well, that would replace the oh, Tory Krug spot in your lineup. Now you've got that six million dollars you upgraded and spent an extra. Honestly, 4 million. I'd get rid of Krug and Falk, and I'd be fine with where I'm at because that's how good. No, I'm serious. That's how good Kale McCarr is. I would keep. Uh, I would keep Justin Falk. Well, I'm just if you're going to give him eleven million dollars or ten point two, you're going to have to get up more than Tory Krug to kind of make that work. Tory Krug and Scandella. Man, boom, we're good. Just, That's basically the one just, for one money wise. You just wise. love trading people away, don't you? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, said I need, you said I need $10 million. Literally, $10.2 million would be Tory Krug and uh, Marco Scandella. All right, before we get out of here and get to the junk drawer, uh, speaking of Jamie Rivers, did you listen to the fast lane yesterday? Uh, I caught it here and there when I was driving home. Did you happen to catch the, the gauntlet? I did not catch the gauntlet. Sorry, man. Before Fernando Tatis Jr., the last shortstop to hit three home runs in a game was a Cardinal. Which Cardinal did it? Uh, I'll take the option. Is it Paul DeYoung, Oledmus Diaz, or Greg Garcia? Greg Garcia. Connor, you went with Greg Garcia. BT, (laughs) you went with Paul DeYoung. Correct answer was... Paul DeYoung. It was Paul DeYoung. Connor. I out if it was Greg Garcia. Well, obviously, Connor wasn't listening because he said Greg Garcia. <laughs> hey, Greg could have done it. In a softball game or something? More likely, Greg or Alex Ferrario. Greg. Oh, yeah, Greg actually Greg, hit for sure. That is such a uh, Damn. Of all people to bring it up, Brad Barnes? Yeah, what the hell, Meat? I thought we were friends. Uh, Brad Barnes? He wasn't even there. And we, I'd like we filled in for him. We were being kind yeah. friends. He took vacation when he was supposed to be a part of that, and we jumped in. Guys, to even add uh, a little no, bit more. No, I don't want to hear it from you, Tanner. Appar- apparently, and I'm hearing this from a source. Matt Holiday replied to the video that was oh, posted I yesterday. Saw that. Matt Holiday, yeah, I you know the guy that. that was really good at Cardinals, baseball. Future Cardinals Hall of Fame. He wasn't Matt calling Holliday? just us out though. He, he was re- calling he out the replied, whole team. He replied with an L. He he called oh, out the whole team. He was talking about uh, Anthony the, the guys Stelter that tried to carry the team. Yeah. It was on them. He knew that the L was coming with us. Can I correct something? Play the end of that real quick, T. Can I correct something? Really, just like the last three seconds or something. <laughs> oh yeah, Greg actually uh, Greg, hit a little bit sure. before that. Yeah. Uh, a little before that. Softball game or something? More likely, Greg or Alex Ferrario? Greg. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that what you're looking no, for? No, somebody said it. Greg actually can hit the ball. Greg. <laughs> oh, yeah, Greg actually Greg, can hit for a sure. ball. I hit the ball. It's just the first nine I didn't hit. Then I hit the ball. By the I, way, that video that's out there on 101ESPN.com and on social medias. Ferrario hit a like, line drive off the wall. I look like a home run hitter in that video. I actually looks more like a home run. Shut up, Tanner. You weren't there. In all seriousness. Lucky for you guys. How did Alex become the butt of this joke? And I did not. Because you didn't miss the ball. (laughs) Did you actually miss? Dude, I missed the first nine of them. I had to take a break 30 seconds in because I kept missing. Tanner, we've got to show you the video, man. That's pathetic. It's it's not pathetic. It's, It's the fact that, one, 
that kid in right field got into my head, and two, Moon got into my damn head because as soon as he hit 11 where he was underplaying himself, oh, man, I might not even hit four of them. Freaking hits the first eleven balls he hits over the. I'm like, well, okay, cool. that was I'll bad quit. for me too because then BT and Stalter both saw that because yeah. he had been underselling himself and yeah. they were like, oh, BK's doing the same thing. No, in, in my mind, in my <laughs> no, mind, and this was my fault too. Like I, I fully prepped myself to be the second hitting in our group. Like I expected you to go first and me to so go too. second because then that would give me time to be like, okay, how's this going to work? I went first and it's like, oh, f, this is not going to be pretty. This is a, this That's is, really not fair, Fastlane. see this text, guys? This is a great point by the text line from the 618. Stalter sounded like Randy back when they were talking about the most athletic, no, and he said, BK, no, immediately. No, Stalter defended me. It was BT. No, Stalter did not defend no, you. No, Stalter, at the end of it, he said, sorry, yeah, right away, defend Greg. Me. Or likely Greg or Alex Ferrario. Greg. Oh. God, Stalter. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty quick. Can you take a, there's not even a second of hesitation. God, Stalter, can you take a breath before? Jeez. By the way, nor should there be a second of hesitation. I mean, the guy yeah. is a professional baseball I, player. He wasn't a home run hitter, though. I appreciate being in the same conversation as Craig Garcia. It, it's Greg, not Craig. That's what I said, Craig Garcia. The junk drawer is next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. So we've been talking a lot about OnlyFans.com over the last few months, right? It's kind of become a national sensation. We're just going to open up with that? Like, no, welcome to the junk drawer. I missed it. What happened? It's the junk drawer on 101 ESPN. That's Tanner Hendrickson. He's Alex Ferrario and I'm Brandon Kylie. Yeah, and there is a sign. So when you go to OnlyFans.com, my assumption, this is purely an assumption. Assumption. Sure, BK. I've seen your OnlyFans account. All about feet, this guy. It's really weird. (laughs) Everybody's got their thing, man. Really uh, weird. All about feet. My assumption would be normally you're not T-Bone's out of commission. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. You're not looking into like personalities, right? This is not a place that you would tend you were looking to go for naked to. people. Yeah. Oh, that, okay. That's kind of what I'm getting at here. Oh. You're not looking for well, personality. Stop like hiding the lead. Just go to it. OnlyFans model Candace Kloss has had a rough go of it. Is this Santa Claus's girlfriend? Nope. K-L-O-S-S. Oh, different Not K-L-A-U-S. Okay. Very different. Different Kloss. Apparently, her Mensa membership leaves men finding her intimidating. And it's been an issue for her as she's been working over on OnlyFans. What's intimidating about her? She's very smart. She has an IQ uh, that is 138. Is that good? Mensa, yes, Mensa I level. I think mine's like thirty-eight. <laughs> it's too too high for you, Alex. Mine's like and me and Tanner combined. I guess what I'm confused by is how is this an issue for OnlyFans? If you're brilliant, that doesn't seem to interfere with what your business is on OnlyFans.com. By the way, she seems to be doing okay. She's uh, raking in twenty thousand dollars per month. On the OnlyFans website, hey. I would say that's a success. I'm so I'm so confused. Like she's making 250 grand a year. I'm by... so confused. Why is she intimidating on OnlyFans? Because she's smart. Is she is she like? I, I'm so confused I'm by confused what OnlyFans. Well. I thought OnlyFans was about naked people, and now it's about intelligence. I don't understand either. I guess I, I maybe T-Bone, there is something about T-Bone. This, we but... need you to do some research for the show. Can you get on OnlyFans and just start searching things? 
kind of scared now. I mean, this is basically Tanner's version of oh. Tinder. It's true. Oh. Not true at Tanner, all. Tanner, have you tried OnlyFans? Like, maybe you don't need Tinder. Look, what I do in my privacy doesn't <laughs> have to well, always be brought to the radio. We learned yesterday what you do in your privacy, and it's including hot tubs and Tanner other people. would have a specific shtick. He yeah. would he would always be in a hot tub, as we learned yesterday. That's weird. I don't want to know what else goes on in that OnlyFans. He only would fans. be in a blow-up hot tub, and that would be his thing. Alex, what do you have for us today in the junk hey, room? real man? quick from the 314, I think that says more about you, Alex, since you have to pay each individual for access to their account. Oh, are they saying because I log into your foot fetish thing on oh, OnlyFans? yeah, probably. Hey, man, I just try to know what my co-host does at all times, and now I know. So I just stay You're away always from here that. for me, man. I I'm appreciate that about you. I'm always here to back you up. What? Not stand behind you, but just back you up. Anyway, junk drawer. Guys, Tommy Pham is the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't believe this. So he has officially recovered from his second stabbing, which is great to know. He was back in the game the the other day for the San Diego Padres. Um, And apparently there's a fan out in San Diego that is not a fan of Tommy Pham. Fan of Tommy Pham. Anyway, there was a guy in left field, probably the kid that was talking trash to me during the softball home run derby. Basically, he was saying, hey, F you, Tommy fam. You suck, F you, Tommy. Well, Tommy took notice to that. And then in his post-game press conference, you know, he uh, he talked to Mia and he answered the question. You know, I just don't think that it's right in sporting events to have people basically call me out. Um, He said, I'm fine if you tell me that I suck, but if you start saying F you, them fighting words. And then Tommy began to describe what uh, he knows. And he says, look, if you want to fight, I'll fight. I know Muay Thai. I know karate. How do you not, like, again, how do you bury the lead on this? How do you not start with, if you want to fight, that's fine. I've been stabbed twice. I mean, I've been in some real pain before. You know, I've been stabbed. I've been stabbed twice. I know Muay Thai. I know Muay Thai. I know karate. You start with, I've been stabbed. Who wants to, who would try and start a fight with Tommy Pham? Not, not me. Like, I don't get it. You know that I'm not starting It's like trying to get into Pham. a gunfight with 50 Cent. There's no point. Well, he's... I, I don't feel like that's one for one. Yeah, it is. 50 Cent got shot multiple times and survived. Tommy Pham has been stabbed multiple times and survived. That's fair. Show me where the difference is. Um, you say vase, I say pot. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. I think the last month has taught us a little something about the team, uh, the Cardinals team building philosophy. And it tells us a whole lot about why this team could never tank. We'll get into it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I feel like we've learned a lot about the Cardinals over the last month. Yeah, we have. And not just for the immediacy of what they are as a team right now, but also where they're going from here. Alex, with the way that the Cardinals fans have responded, and I'm not surprised by the response necessarily, but it has shown me that, remember those conversations we had last summer with Jamie about the Cardinals tanking and all of those possibilities? Jamie wanted to blow it up. You can't do that here. You just can't. It's not an acceptable way to build a roster. Well, you could have, I guess, before Nolan Arenado, but now you can't. I don't even think beforehand. This fan base is not, it is different. It is a different market than most places in America. And we've talked about this a a couple of times of late, Alex. There's not an NFL team here to to kind of take off some of the sting as you get later on into the summer and training camp opens up. You have the excitement of that and you kind of move on from baseball season. It, It just doesn't work that way. 
in St. Louis. Eventually you get into hockey season, but that takes a little longer than getting into football season. It's, it's different. I don't think you can tank here. And I, I think that I knew that beforehand that has been reinforced to me after what we watched over the course of the month of June. I don't think this, this fan base would, would live with that. No, they wouldn't. Plus, tanking takes a lot longer in baseball than it does in other sports. Like three to five years at a minimum. I think it's more than that. Like I, minimum, I think you're yeah. looking at six to seven years, maybe, because you got to hope you strike gold in those draft picks. And even then, I mean, it's not like you'd be the only team tanking. There's a lot of teams. I mean, heck, we saw the Arizona Diamondbacks do it in game one of this series. They were making sure that they got that top pick this year in the draft. So tanking in baseball, it, it just it takes too long, and you have to have a fan base that either doesn't care about the team or they're okay with waiting that long. And I don't really know where the Cubs fall into that because Cubs just like the fans. Well, at least in Chicago, they've got the Bears, right? You get into and July. They, the White Sox at the time, too, because at least you had something else to root for. Sure, but Cubs fans won't work for the White Sox. Why not? Um, That's fine. It's all Chicago, right? But in Chicago, if you're if you're a Cubs fan in Chicago, you get into July, you can talk about Justin Fields right now if the team stinks, right? You get into the early spring, you're talking about the Bulls and what they could be potentially if they end up being any good. Like there's other stuff going on. It's just different in St. Louis. And I'm not trying to uh, tamp down what the excitement is around the blues. Obviously we know of anybody what you certainly do, what the excitement is that surrounds the blues here in this town, the timing of it, the seasons of it is just where it kind of becomes a little bit different. Yeah. Not having that reprieve at the end of the summer, the way that you have if you're in an NFL market, I think takes a little bit of the blow off of what is a brutal, long, exhausting baseball season. Yeah, well, and I think you're right saying that June has shown us anything because, I mean, Cardinals fans just they they don't like this. They don't like mediocrity. They're not going to sit here and watch this for two weeks, let alone an entire season, let alone six or seven seasons, and you hoping that you get the right players and I think that solidifies it more than anything. And as much as people gripe and moan about how, oh, well, they, all they do is try and make the playoffs. You can't sit here and tell me that you don't get, you don't buy in come August when they're five games out and they start to make a push. And then in September, when you get into the playoffs, yes, it sucks when they get swept and don't score any runs and nearly get no hit by Anibal Sanchez, but at least it provides excitement because without that, you're talking about being done in April. Earlier today, I was listening to Kara and Smallman and kind of jumping off of this point. They talked about what it would take for this Nolan Arenado window the next five, six years to be a success. I'm curious what your guys' thoughts is on this. We'll hear what Kara and Smallman had had to say on this, and I want to get your thoughts as well. If we're going to go with the Arenado window and say it's seven years, I'll say you can't get through it without getting to a World Series. Because then that would be what, eight, 17, 18 years yeah. without one? Right. Ooh, the Cardinals fans would not be happy with that. Which is kind of weird because they had some fun when they went during that 24-year stretch. They had some fun in 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2002. Right, but then you get spoiled. Championships happen and near championships happen and the expectations are different now. You know what? The expectations is not just to have a pretty good time, pretty fun teams. Where do you fall on this? Next seven years, what would it take for this to be considered looking back on it team-wise? Not not from Nolan Arenado because it, it looks like he's going to pay off on everything the Cardinals thought he was going to be. But as a team, what do you think it would take for this to be considered a success over the next seven years? Would it take winning a World Series? Would it take 
getting to one, making multiple NLCS, what's the bottom line threshold that it would take? I think you have to make multiple and win one. Honestly, I'm starting my threshold. You got to make the playoffs every year. You can't miss the playoffs. You miss the playoffs once. That's a loss, in my opinion. Uh Uh-oh. I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm right, starting blow, on a good foot on that. That's what, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, you can't miss the playoffs. But I, 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 for me, I think you got to find yourself in multiple World Series and you got to win one. They missed the playoffs with Albert Pujols multiple times. I don't So care. I'm not going to require that. You don't have to make it every year. But certainly more often than not. Like, five out of the seven, I think you do. No, you got to make it every year. Okay. You got to make I'm sorry it to that one you World like series. mediocrity, PK. That's true. BK does like mediocrity. You were fine with a, a series split on the road. It happened. That would have, looking at it, looking back on it, man, that would have been a, a hell of an upgrade right, over BK's what we got. BK's actually a genius then. You were okay with them winning two Tina, or three what against would you want to see? Or what, what do you think it would need to be in order for this to be a success? I don't think you have to make the playoffs every year because I look at this year and I say this is a team that's cool. destined to Enjoy not make mediocrity. the playoffs. I, I, I'm not, when I say that, I'm not saying like... Yeah, if you miss four out of, or they said seven, so I'm not saying if you miss six out of seven, then get to the playoffs and win a World Series, it's success. I think you have to make it five of those seven years, and I'm including this year, and I, I, I'm starting to get concerned that they'll make it this year. So I think if you make the playoffs five out of the next seven years, and I, I, I think you have to get to a World Series to be considered a success. Just one. I mean, look at I mean, look at the Dodgers. I I look at the I'm looking at this in you have seven to win years. Win one or get to one. I think getting to one would make this a success. I think winning one should be there. I, I think getting you're here. I'll say this: getting the two World Series and then maybe winning one because I don't think that's out of the norm. I, I think you could do that. And the reason I say only two World Series is because you've got the Dodgers, you've got the Padres. I still think Atlanta's going to be good for multiple years to come because they've got their offensive core in Acuna and Albies, and I still like Swanson. I think he'll develop a little bit better. So there's three teams right there, and the Dodgers are going to be able to spend in free agency. The Padres have shown they're willing to spend in free agency. Don't be surprised if San Francisco spends in free agency next year. So right there's three teams that could be good for seven years. That's why I look at it and say, if you can get to two World Series, then I would say that this would be a success. Now, making the playoffs, I can understand where Alex is coming from because I look at the rest of the division. We don't know what the Cubs are going to be in the next seven years. Not quite sure what Milwaukee's going to be. They don't. They can't hang on to all their talent. And then I look at Cincinnati. Cincinnati's going the wrong direction. Pittsburgh, we're not quite sure what it's they're going to so have in their prospects. It's just so hard over a seven-year stretch to know. Like, seven years ago was 2014, and at that point in time, we would have thought that the Cubs for the next seven years were going to be awesome, you know? But I think that was fair to assume at that point. Right, and but they, what I'm saying is they, dis- they disappointed. The Brewers might end up being great for the next five years. Same thing for the Reds, right? We just don't know. It's, I, it's so I, hard to tell. I think the difference with the, between the Brewers and the Reds compared to that Cubs is the Cubs could go out and spend. They went and got uh, John Lester. Um, they went and got Jason Hayward. I look at Milwaukee and I look at Cincinnati. Well, Cincinnati's going out and spend, but I'll signal it into Milwaukee. Milwaukee historically does not go get a big contract. The Cubs are willing to do that because they can because they're in a big market. I, I was basically saying the opposite. Like the Cubs were supposed to be the juggernaut. They didn't end up becoming that because things change quickly in baseball. Seven years ago, if you would have told me that the Nationals wouldn't have ended up other than that one season after Bryce Harper left, if you would have told me at the beginning of that that they weren't going to be a juggernaut in the NL East, I would have been like, what happened? What went wrong? They've got Scherzer. They've got Strasburg. They've got Harper. They've got Run. It, it, it wouldn't have made sense to me. So baseball changes quickly. We know that. Um, I would say you got to make the playoffs five out of seven years, and you've got to get to one World Series and win it. And you've got to get to the NLCS at least twice. 
in the seven-year stretch. I think that's probably my minimum threshold. Get to a couple NLCS. You win a World Series at some point. You don't have to make it to multiple. Win one, and I think that's how you get there. I think you do need to win a World Series, though. You got Jack Flaherty. You've got Nolan Arenado. You've got Paul Goldschmidt. You got Dylan Carlson. They've told us everything. This seven-year stretch will include Nolan Gorman, Matthew Liberatore. I would imagine at some point in the next seven years, you're going to see Jordan Walker up. They are obviously very high on him. Yvonne Herrera, those guys that we've heard so much about. Mason Wynn, maybe at some point. Uh, I would imagine they're probably adding a star talent via free agency or a trade at some point in that seven-year stretch because that's what the Cardinals do. Yeah, you should win a World Series at some point in the next seven years if you're the St. Louis Cardinals. Can I clarify something real quick? Because yeah. maybe I was being too aggressive with making the playoffs every year. I, I think that should be a threshold, but at least being competitive for a playoff every year. Like That's if you're like you need you need to have what the Cardinals have had over John Mozeliak's tenure to where yeah no you miss the playoffs. Seasons. Yeah, you miss the playoffs, but you miss it by a game, and you're fighting to the last game of the regular season. That needs to happen every year. If you are out of it come August, I think that's a loss in the seven-year span because like, you can't be that with the talent that you have right now. That's kind of where I was getting at when I said make the playoffs every year. You need to be above 500 every year in the seven-year stretch. Oh, no doubt about it. The only time the Cardinals have been below 500 in the last 20 years was 2007. That's a threshold they have to continue to sustain because that's, that's what it means to be the Cardinals. This win-every-year tradition if you can at least get to 500, especially in today's game where you've got a whole lot of teams every year that are tanking, look at the pirates, look at the diamondbacks that they're playing right now. You've got to just beat up on those teams at a minimum. And if you do that, typically you can get yourself to 500. So that's a minimum threshold. Six, five, seven, eight, Oh, is the air comfort service text line uh, to get involved in the show. If you want to get your thoughts in on this, I do find this one interesting. You guys have been spoiled by the Cardinals recent success because you're so young it's unrealistic to make the playoffs every year. Other teams get paid too. How many times did they miss the playoffs from 2001 to 2011? Um, once? Four. Four times. 2003, 7, 8, and 10. So there, there was that four-year stretch where they missed it three out of four years, which is... I think sometimes we forget about that, honestly, when you look back on the Albert Pujols era. That's kind of why I clarified it, though, because go back and look at those. I guarantee they were fighting for a playoff spot in September. Yeah, they won 86 games in both 2008 and 2010, so they they were right there. You need to be fighting in September for a playoff spot every single year. If you're out of it come September in August, I think that's a loss, in my opinion. I also just think, like, they're right. It's hard to make the playoffs every year, but most teams aren't building to make the playoffs every year the way that the Cardinals are. They are a rarity. In that regard, look at the sustained success that this team's had. And I know we kind of laugh at it sometimes. We're like, hey, you should try something different. It, it is um, it, it is worthy of praise the way that they consistently win. The fact that we can look back on the last 20 years and they have one losing season is remarkable. Nobody else can match that. The Red Sox maybe have more World Series than you do in that stretch. But the Red Sox also have a ton of yeah. losing seasons in that Sox stretch. Have, have a- Crappy season up and after down. they win a World Series. The Cardinals don't have that. It's been a roller coaster. So I, I think that that's part of what goes into when you said making it every year. I'm not saying they got to make it every year, but they definitely need to be in contention. It's the same thing with the Blues. Like the Red Sox were bad, and then they're selecting in the top five in the draft, and they're getting good talent that helps them be competitive the next year. The Blues never draft above 10. for like Since Alex Petrangelo, they've never drafted above 10. And they're still in the playoffs. Like, that's the part where it's looking at, it's like, okay, something's going right here. You can't really comp the Red Sox. Yeah, they win a World Series every other year, and 
but they also are one of the worst teams in baseball in a yeah. year. And then they draft third overall and they get a great player. And then he becomes a piece of that. The Cardinals aren't doing that. And they're just going out and spending a, a ton of money, right? Ton of money. And that that's part of what goes into the unsustainability of, of what they do as a team. It is one seventeen. your time check brought to you by Clarkson jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. What are we doing with the sticky stuff? Whoa. I don't understand it. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Cardinals up three to one in the bottom of the third. Paul Goldschmidt's having a good game again. Woo-hoo. Two doubles in this one. Tyler O'Neill just sent him home with an RBI. Uh, KK had a double earlier today. That's Hashtag something you'll love to see. Let pitchers hit. Carp is 0 for 2. It's good to see the Cardinals offense looking like itself again. Really happy to see it. Yeah, I know it's the the Diamondbacks. I don't care. The, the Cardinals actually putting up runs is something that we can celebrate right BKO. now. BKO. Don't do it. Sorry, what I just sneezed. We don't love to see Whoa. is what Major League Baseball okay. is doing right now with the sticky stuff. Enough with the transitions already. Because <laughs> I don't think they know what they're doing. Well, no. Who does I know, know what to do what with I'm the sticky stuff? Yeah. See, remember yesterday, we were talking about Hector Santiago, the uh, relief pitcher for the Mariners. He was booted out of a game because the umpire determined, hey, you got some sticky stuff on your glove that, that, is against the rules now. We are enforcing this. You're done. You're ejected from the game, and you're going to be suspended 10 games. Well, my assumption, my understanding, and I think this was the uh, prevailing thought on things, was that he would be able to have his glove sent to Major League Headquarters. That's why they put it in the hermetically sealed stuff. Looked like from a crime scene. It looked like a trash bag. Sure, whatever it was, it looked like they were going to send that somewhere to be able to test it to find out, okay, what's on this glove? Nope. Apparently we don't do that. Apparently the glove was never inspected by anybody. They lost lost it it in the mail. It's not part of the rules. That sucks. The glove is not inspected. Okay, so then why did they go about that whole thing? Wait, 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 wait. What happened to Gallegos' hat? Good question. He, he actually Joe West took it and just put it in his car and took it home with him. It's a memorabilia. Nice. Yeah. Joe West is like, hey, I did this. Hector Santiago has been suspended 10 games by Major League Baseball. Okay, but here's my because he's appealing it because they basically didn't check it then when they're supposed to. He'll win that. No, they did. They did everything by the book. What took place with Hector Santiago is how this works. They take your glove and the reason why he was ejected out of the game was because you have a sticky substance on your glove. But they were appeal- he's appealing it because apparently the rules say you're supposed to check and find out what it is then. There is no way to do that. Well, that's that's the problem, though. So he wins his appeal regardless. No, because he's appealing to Major League Baseball, who is the one that sent him the suspension. But you can't that's suspend a guy way. if you're not going to check it and find out if it was just rosin. That's what they're doing. That okay. is exactly how this is. I'm with you. How the this hell is, is Rob Manfred employed still? I don't understand how this is the way we're going about this. My entire thought process on this was, okay, it's going to be really hard for umpires to be able to determine, is that rosin or is this the stuff we're trying to get out of the game? After seeing the way that Trevor Bauer, and he's probably not the best guy to bring up today. This, If this story is real, he should not be playing. Uh, but true. 
the the way that he presented a baseball on his hand when it was just sweat and rosin, it looked as if he had something worse on his hand, right? Well, that's what the umpires are trying to differentiate between. What is rosin and what is a sticky substance? And apparently they're not even checking. They're just determining that was sticky, and so therefore you are going to be ejected from the game. And if you are ejected, it prompts an immediate 10-game suspension no matter what. How do they know he wasn't, like, sucking on a Tootsie Pop or something in the bullpen, and then, like, some of that got on his glove, and that's the sticky stuff. You think they Or cotton candy. He could have got cotton candy from the concession stand. If that's what it was, and he suspended 10 games. Regardless of what it was, he suspended. You just got suspended for using cotton candy and not washing your hands. Andrew Miller was on the Athletics Major League Baseball podcast, and he was asked about some of this stuff and his concerns about it. Here's what Andrew Miller said about it. Rosin and sweat definitely gives you tech. Uh, I think guys are, you know, there's certainly guys transitioning maybe from using something and trying to find a way to make the rosin as sticky as possible, but it does create that little bit of tech and umpires aren't looking for substances. They're looking for sticky and there's a distinction there. They're not trying to distinguish whether or not this is sunscreen or we've all found out what spider tech is lately or pine tar to them. It doesn't matter if it's maple syrup. It's the reality is it's just if it's sticky or not. That's kind of the fear. A lot of players were certainly, you know, fearful of, you know, some sort of misidentification of something that's a a foreign illegal substance. And, uh, you know, it just puts everybody in a bind. It's a really hard thing to deal with. I'm sorry. I'm just. I, I go ahead. I couldn't focus. Was that in an elevator? Okay, enough. <laughs> that music was just terrible behind it. Look, I just. I'm so confused because from what I read, Santiago was appealing because they didn't do what the rules had stated, where you check it after it gets taken from the game. He's appealing because he's saying he had rosin and. That is his story, and he very well may. I don't know so if it was rosin or not. How do you even make these rules then when you have uh-huh. no clarity? I mean, there's this entire thing is gray area. There's no black and white because if you're not going to check if it was rosin or sunscreen or maple syrup, as Andrew Miller apparently talks about, you can't suspend the guy by just saying, oh, well, you had substance and it's sticky. You can. You shouldn't. God, Major League Baseball, you are a They joke. messed this up. Like they, they, they messed this up. It was right there for them. And there were always going to be some hurdles that came along throughout the enforcement this of all of This isn't a this. hurdle. This is a roadblock. And, and it's a self-inflicted wound for Major League Baseball. Like You did this. All you had to do was <laughs> earlier this season, they said, they stated publicly, we're trying to collect evidence. We're trying to find out what the substances are that are out there, right? So clearly they had been checking this previously. They have a way to do it. I don't know what it is. They've got a lab somewhere, I would imagine. Well, then why aren't you doing it now? Check that glove. If it has all kinds of spider tack all over it, then by all means, God forbid, go ahead and suspend him. I got no issues with that. But if all you find is a bunch of rosin and maybe a little bit of sunscreen and some sweat, well, then why are you suspending the guy for 10 games, hurting the Mariners in the process because now they don't have that final spot on their roster? That makes no sense. That is that that's fantasy land. This is not this is not real. And a Major League Baseball needs to hire a CSI person who has a microscope who sits right next to the instant replay guy. And as soon as they substance, they bring it over to the microscope and they put they, it they under do it. A little rub, yep. rub it on the thing. A little rub down and then they figure out what it is. Even if it's not that. Even if it's in, not in the moment and this has to be something that is sent to a lab somewhere and you don't get the results for 24 hours. Whatever it is, right? That's better than this current you, system. You, you this is nonsense. You can't suspend somebody and not clarify that it was illegal substance. Because now he's forever going to be known as the guy that used the illegal substance. Whether he did or not.
and we're never going to know, apparently, which is ridiculous. It's like the ending of a movie that's like, what, what the hell, man? It's the TV show that ends thinking they get Sopranos. next season. It's the Sopranos. Yeah. It just ends season. in a blackout. You're you just like, never know if hell? Tony died. You never know. Well, Spoiler you, alert. Yeah, no kidding. Guys, I haven't seen it. Well, they got the prequel coming out. Maybe that'll tell. I'm sure it'll help Tanner. It's been 20 years since Tanner, you can't show. watch it. You're underage. That's Alex oh. Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues, is going to join us next. I want to ask him about these Vladimir Tarasenko rumors. What does this mean for the blues offseason? Kerbs will join us to talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Time to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line for a weekly chat with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, joining us here on the show. Kerbs, we always appreciate the time. How you doing today, my friend? I'm doing good. Uh, we're we're on a drive back east uh, to my wife's hometown in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. And uh, due to some construction on 70, we ended up uh, using ways and taking a detour and literally found ourselves here in uh Knightstown, Indiana. So uh, the kids are inside checking out the Hoosier gym right now. So it kind of one of those, ah, we're here, stop in and take a look at it. So, you know, we're, we're we haven't found big Ben yet, but we're, uh, we're looking for things. Curbs. How, how long of a drive is that? Uh, from, from the, from the, the, the Hoosier gym or all the way up to Massachusetts all, from St. Louis to Massachusetts. Yeah. Is this like a five day oh, experience? No, it's not too bad. It's 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 eighteen hours. Uh, we we sometimes we we split Curbs, it up. That's sometimes a long drive, man. Curbs, I took yeah. a four hour drive to Branson with my three month old, and I wanted to rip all my hair out. Ah, <laughs> uh, so you got to learn when 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 my kids were younger, and, and so and we drive up to Pittsfield. Melatonin. You put them in the car. You put them in the car right about six o'clock at night, and they sleep almost all the way through the night, and you can get a good twelve thirteen hours in. You know, with the kids sleeping. So uh, a you're, there, move. Bud, you're still that a is, rookie at this. Yeah, a, you're a rookie here. That's a vet move. Although I have to figure out how to drive at night because I get tired too. So come on, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I got to drive in the morning. How old are you? You're 31. First off, so we, we I've, you know, we've been doing this drive every summer since I moved back home. You know, I met Christy when I was working in, uh, in Springfield up there, which, you know, as you know, Springfield is now our new, uh, will be our affiliate in the American League next year. And Pittsfield is the far western part of the state, about a 45 minute drive west of uh, or east of Albany. And uh, the, the drive is great. You just go 70 to Columbus, then you shoot up north to Cleveland. You get on 90, you take 90 basically all the way through upstate New York and, uh, and into Massachusetts. But what we started doing was when the kids would really sleep at night for long runs, you would drive through the night. Um, and you would get, you know, and, and it would be real quick. But when we went up there in November uh, for Thanksgiving, because the season hadn't started yet, and we were only going up for a week, we said, you know, well, let's still drive it. And we'll... Uh, We'll see how it goes. And even though the kids are older, you know, but they said, no, let's try the night thing. So we left at seven o'clock at night. They watched movies till about 11 or 12. They fell asleep. They slept till like eight. When they woke up, we were in Buffalo, which is about 12 hours from St. Louis. And we only had four and a half to go. So it's, there's some, there is definitely some driving strategy, but if you're like me and you don't mind driving and, and, uh, and, and, and you like seeing things, it's a great way to go. So like today, I mean, this is awesome. The, the detour, just by the dumb luck of it, and I, I started telling them the story as we're going through the end of the movie, you know, of, of and, and the you know the Hickory basketball team and how the movie was made. And I said, well, I said I think that gym's probably not far from here. Look it up, and it was literally like a half mile away when we were stuck at a stoplight. So, 
you know, just creating adventures, fellas. I love it. I uh, My dad was kind of similar to you growing up, and we once drove all the way up to Wyoming and then down to Colorado, and then he decided that we were going to drive up the 101 in California. And Curbs, those are, uh, I would say, some of my favorite and least favorite memories of my childhood. <laughs> it goes a little bit both ways on that. Uh, we're talking to the voice. Ours, ours the- used to be up to... Uh, Ours used to be up to um, up to um, Shanty Creek, Michigan, and, and we'd always stop in Holland, you know, Holland, Michigan, where, you know, they still, I don't know if they still have some of those, like, Dutch-like things where, you know, but you can get the wooden shoes with your, you know, name wood burned into them and things like that. But, yeah, our, our spot uh, for a while when I was younger, and, and, you know, of course, no no movies, no iPhones, no Game Boys, no none of that stuff. And it was literally, you know, mom and dad trying to keep you in line saying, count the cows on the way up. So it was... But but you remember, man. Those are fun times with the kids. For sure, yeah. They they it can go both ways, but it certainly has yeah. some potential. Uh, Curbs, I didn't want. Have you guys wanna... been to this gym? No, I have not. I've actually never been to outside of Indianapolis. That's the only area that I've been in uh, Indiana in Curbs, general. When I take a road trip, I try and just get to the destination <laughs> as fast as possible. I even tell Katie, "You're not allowed to stop to go to the bathroom. You hold it." Okay, listen. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And we stop now. There's 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 a really important road trip rule. All right. When your car gets to a quarter of a tank, you start looking for Philip because you never know what traffic could be ahead, right? So literally we start to hit some traffic. It's a quarter of a tank, and there's like a huge – they're doing road construction. I mean, first off, the pension plan in Indiana is road construction. I mean, it's unreal how much – that's nonstop. But but, uh, but we stopped at the gas station. You go to pump the gas. First one's not working. Go to the next one. Finally, you go in. The guy goes, oh, yeah, we're out of gas. You know, so you try to figure all that, and then the the detour takes you, but – you know, two weeks ago, Gabby and I went to Raleigh, North Carolina for a few days to, to see some friends and we're driving back and Gabby loves beef jerky, right? So there's a huge billboard sign that said beef jerky outlet. So we're like, all right, let's go check it out. So you just pull off the side of the road and man, they had all like, I, I never didn't know that they made beef jerky in so many flavors, but you know, I'm typically I'm like you, Alex, but now that the kids can enjoy some of the scenery and stuff, I think you got to pull off a little bit. Curbs, we only have uh, a little bit of time left with you, but I did want to ask you about a report that we've talked a lot about. And I know it, it's a report. It's off season. It's silly season. I, I don't yeah. know how much of this is uh, something we should be reading into. However, I do have to ask you about it. According to yeah. Frank Saravalli, who's a, a very reputable reporter, said the Blues are exploring a trade for star winger Vladimir Tarasenko. While he does hold the cards with a full no trade clause, upon further vetting, it appears that the player has alerted St. Louis to several teams that he would be willing to be dealt to. A change of scenery could be uh, in order. Again, that came from Frank Saravalli. Uh, Curbs, I don't know if you had seen that report yet or not. It, it's something we've certainly talked a little bit about. What would you make of it whenever you heard that? Yeah, well, first off, you're right. Frank Saravalli does uh, does have some real strong sources, like, like some of the other big, uh, you know, big guys in the league. I think of the fact, and, and a guy like him, they're not putting their reputation at stake with just fluff stuff. So um, he's one of those guys that uh, if he is saying that, you know, he, he's he's definitely getting on good advice that that there there might be some discussions there. I, I think there's got to be some smoke and fire. I cannot confirm that, guys. And sure. and I'm not saying I wouldn't. I'm just saying I have not talked to Doug Armstrong or anybody with the team, so I do not have direct knowledge of that. But I do believe that when something like this gets some legs, there does tend to be a little smoke where there's fire. Um, now, a year or so ago would have been the time where the Blues had all the cards to do this. Now Vladimir's no-trade clause does kick in. And there's a difference between a no trade and a no movement. Remember, 
no movement is important when it comes to the uh, expansion draft and stuff like that because you know that that you could still put a guy on waivers with a no trade but no trade is specifically about trades so so he does hold the cards there look he wasn't happy apparently that uh, he didn't receive more consideration for of the captaincy that's something that has been talked about he did change his agents apparently from Mike Leute to another agent um you know along those lines so you know he is disgruntled he is not happy about something now what it is i i cannot tell you you know i i do find it interesting though guys you know again you know they were hoping he'd play in a couple of games right down the stretch he he, he didn't feel he was able to he goes to play in the playoffs didn't play all that well didn't do much until that uh, a game that didn't mean anything there in that last game uh, of that playoff series when he scored the two goals something similar to what happened with san jose a few years earlier you know, and uh, to, to be honest with you, you know, is it a situation that can get calmed down? I don't know, but there's probably a little smoke where there's fire, and uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. And if it does play out to something, it becomes a, a real intriguing offseason for the Blues in terms of what is possible and what adjustments are made. And that's what I wanted to ask you about to finish things up here today, Curbs. If the Blues decided to go that route, and if Vladdy has indeed given them a list of teams that he'd be willing to go to, what do you think that means for the Blues offseason? I mean, does that you it opens up seven and a half million dollars that they could use, and maybe that just goes straight hockey trade and you'd trade for a player that's around seven million dollars in return. But what do you think the Blues would be able to do then from that move to whatever they end up doing next? Brandon, I think we have to I, I think if the safe analysis of this is just look at the way the Blues roster is constructed right now. And I think you could relate it a little bit somewhat to say the Norland Go- uh, Nolan Gorman situation with the Cardinals, right? They sign Arenado, you know, and Gorman's like, okay, well, I'm not going to go into the Cardinals organization now at third base of the big league club. I got to maybe start learning how to play second, right? If you look at the Blues situation right now, if Vladimir, Ter- like your top two right wingers are Vladimir Tarasenko and David Perron, and you've got a third one now in Jordan Cairo, who clearly wasn't comfortable on the left, but on the right side, Jordan Cairo looks like he's ready to step into a top six. Look, are David Perron and, 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 and Jordan Cairo snipers like Vladimir Tarasenko? No, but Vladimir Tarasenko has to rediscover his game. He's only scored eight goals since the Blues won the Stanley Cup. All that, of course, due to injuries. That said, you do still go in with David Perron and with Jordan Cairo on your top right side. If you can get a left winger, if you can get salary that allows you to get the left winger, you may round out your team in a different fashion. And while it looks different, it could be a better all-around team because you've actually answered a couple of questions, knowing that Jordan Cairo appears to be ready to step into that top six role. So I look at a move like that probably more as something that is related more towards positional uh, than anything else, and then the potential cap help that could come with it. Curbs, we appreciate the time, man. Enjoy the rest of your trip up to the Northeast. We'll talk with you again next week. All right, guys, have an awesome time. Talk to you later. Absolutely, same to you. That's Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. Textline asked a great question. Um, I wonders if Kerbs ever stopped in Uranus for fudge. I stopped at Uranus for fudge on the way to Branson this past weekend, and it was really good. Is this a real thing? I swear, there's a place called Uranus, Missouri, and it has fudge. Look it up. I'm not going to look that up. There is a... a... I told you! Uranus has fudge. Unbelievable. It... It is called the Uranus Fudge Factory. <laughs> I, I didn't know this was a real thing. Hey, Timo, you just found your ender to the show today. I... 
Did not know this was a place. Where is this place? Uranus, Missouri. It's delicious fudge. I don't think it is in Uranus, Missouri. Does it? Look well, where like, else would it be? Would it be Springfield, Missouri? Like? Well, you, no, yeah. no, no. It's Uranus, Missouri. That's wild. All right, I think it's time to cross it over. <laughs> That's nice. What if, what if Jamie's been to Uranus. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's certainly been a show that we could do at some point between Whoa. 11 to 2 today. Hey. Don't know if it was good or bad. Hey, ask Jamie if he's been Wait, to where happened? we were just talking about the last, last uh, segment. Uranus F- Fudge Factory? You ever been to Uranus, Jamie? Oh, I have. Several times. Yeah? Yeah, it's... It's the Fudge Factory and General Store. It's a great spot. It is a great spot. Yeah. It's between Springfield and the Ozarks. Yeah, you can. Uh, best thing to do is they have a highway or a road that goes around it, and you can circle Uranus several times. It's good. Yeah. And you, you can decide if you really want to take stuff. If you really want to go to Fudge Town or not. <laughs> Alex, Alex is trying so hard, man. He just, Jamie breaks me. I can keep a straight face with you two, but Jamie breaks me every time. I can't do it. I can't Uranus do it, Uranus apparently has a small cakes cupcakery. Sure it does. And a uh, carnivore's meats and drinks, which yeah, is just perfect. Eat. Just perfect. I know they have a tattoo parlor there because I drove past it. And I asked my wife when we were driving, I said, hey, Katie, should we stop and get a tattoo in Uranus? Yeah, she said, yeah, stop sign. She said, you're an idiot. <laughs> BK missed it, Jamie. <laughs> no, I heard it. I just tried to power through. <laughs> that might be even worse. Yeah. <laughs> Do I just throw in a break here? What are we- I don't know. How about them Cardinals? <laughs> What's coming up today on the fast lane, man? Uh, well, we're going to talk about my guy, Carlos. I always knew he could dominate. I knew he had it in him. <laughs> Uh, yeah, never doubted him for one second. So we're going to talk about Carlos a little bit. We're going to talk about Big Daddy Vladdy. Uh-oh. Uh, I had a little bit of a thought last night, and I just thought to myself, wow, are the Blues really going to miss Vladdy? Not sure. They really haven't had him for two years. So, you know, we're going to dive into that. They'd it, like that $7.5 million. Yeah, the $7.5 million. Could, you guys uh, talking about Kel McCarr and how the Blues are going to yeah. get him? Uh, you should listen to Jamie because he is Nostra Rivas here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> I, either that or I'm just a scumbag with scumbag <laughs> tactics. I'm not sure. They can be those are the same, the same thing. They can go in the same way. Nostradamus right. like, was too. I just don't understand how Colorado has waited this long to, to do something. They need to lock that up or yeah. they are going to get sewered even worse than their salary cap is because – if I'm a team that is that one piece away or looking to build my franchise with that franchise defenseman, I'm offering the world for Kale If McCarr. I'm Bill Armstrong in Arizona, I'll throw everything you need at that player because that helps me tremendously. Yeah, you know, but now the player has to sign it. Yeah, yeah that's true. Do you know that you, uh, if you offer him 11.2 plus no, million, 10.2. 10.2 million dollars, you have to give up four first-round picks if he accepts it and the team rejects that's the offer correct. sheet? You t- I'll give you four first-rounders. Okay, if you can pick one that's just as good or better than Kale McCarr. Hey, I said just go to 10.2. Just meet right up next to that Absolutely. threshold. Just do the two first. Two first round picks, yeah. a second, a third. Do that no, in a heartbeat. I do that in a heartbeat for Kale right McCarr. I go past the threshold. You don't need a first round pick. 
if you've got Kale McCarr. You don't. I mean, that's your franchise. Put the put the job back into your scouts' hands, and from that point on, find second round picks ho- that help. Hopefully, your team is good enough to where you have the Patriots syndrome, to where you're drafting so low, anyways, it doesn't matter. Like even the St. Louis Blues this year, that's a good point. They're what 16th yep. is their draft pick. Like and that's eh, the best in a that's while. That's the highest it's been in a long yeah. time. So where they got shorts, I think. What would be the big deal about throwing in a first rounder? And if you did that, maybe Tory Krug becomes a little bit more expendable. So there's six and a half million dollars. Vladdy is already somebody that could potentially be on the outs. That's seven and a half. Now you're talking about 13, 14 million dollars. You're going to lose somebody in the expansion draft. Of course. It's so, interesting. Look, Doug the Armstrong comes there for you. And Doug Armstrong is actually the right guy for this period of time for the St. Louis Blues because he really doesn't care. He's completely unafraid. He's unafraid. And when I say he doesn't care, he cares about the Blues. That's it. He doesn't care about a certain individual. He doesn't have feelings attached to a certain player. There's no nostalgia. Oh, that's no. It's like, hey, this is our team. This is the franchise. This is what makes us better. And you might hate my guts for it after, but I don't care. I have a job to do. So I think he's the right guy at the right time. If you're willing to let go of your captain, the first captain in team history that won the Stanley Cup for you, over principle on a no movement clause, yeah, you're you're willing to be pretty I think, cut and dry. I think yeah. BK's officially sold on Kale McCarr. Tomorrow's segment to open the show will be Blues are getting <laughs> Kale McCarr. Well, that's a different one. I was saying, look, it's a win win, right? If you offer for Kale McCarr and you get him, that's a victory. But if you're looking to target Landeskog, oh, yeah. then what you do is you offer on Kale McCarr. They've got a match. They don't have the cap and, room. All of a sudden, Landeskog's available. And well, it's, not just, both. it's not just targeting Landeskog either. It's just basically screwing over Colorado to where they're going to be in massive yeah. cap hell for the next five years. Who cares about them? Yeah. No, I, mean, I don't. Jared Bednar. Joe Sackick, you've already had your stuff. Move on. Fastlane coming up from 2 to hair. 6. We'll be back Amen. tomorrow at 11 on 101 ESPN. Dep- depends on how good his rubdown is after the game. Okay. I've, I've seen some guys, and rubdowns are pretty good. You pitch well, you get a good rubdown. If you don't pitch well, sorry, the rubdown's not as good. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise.